Welcome to the Thundercast, your martial athletics podcast produced by the fans, for the fans, with your hosts, Russ Livingood and KD Hudnall. We're bringing you the thundering word on the thundering herd each and every week. So keep it right here. The Thundercast is on the loose. Thanks for downloading another episode of the Thundercast. Find us on Twitter at Thundercast underscore pod and follow the show on all major podcasting outlets. Please continue to share the links and rate uh, and rate review and subscribe to the show. Uh, it helps us out a whole, whole bunch. Of course, by now we all know how metrics work on, on, on the online universe. So every single rating and review that we can get uh, helps us become more easily attainable and findable for other Marshall fans. Today we have a massive amount of information to cover. Uh, as always, of course, we're going to have the five things every herd fan needs to know segment. We we have a ton of uh, information to cover around the herd, and the best part of all is we have uh, we're going to start the series of position group breakdowns as we lead into football season. You're going to get a different position group every week until. Ultimately, we culminate with the week one preview of uh, with for the game with Norfolk State. So this week, we're starting things off with the coaching staff. So that'll be our main feature story. We're going to talk about all that before we get into that. Let's get a quick word from our sponsors at 304carrec.com. If you've been hurt in a wreck, visit 304carrec.com on the web or on Facebook. You can't stop a bad driver from crashing into you and making you a victim. But when you're hurt and you try to deal with the insurance companies alone, you set yourself up to be a victim again. Don't be a victim twice. Jason and Matt can't protect you from bad drivers, but they can protect you from the insurance companies. Find them at 304carwreck.com. Russ, a little bit of a delayed episode uploading this week because there was just so much information that kind of kept coming in that there really wasn't a good breaking point to... Um, not include into this episode. So take a couple of extra days, get it all organized. We got a lot of great info for the uh, for our listeners, and what we thought was going to be a fairly low key couple of weeks is pretty much anything but low key. There's a lot of information this week, um, so you know we're going to cover it all. Um, you know, we also had uh, a little scheduling. You know. Not that we're not going to have this out every week and everything, and we've got vacations and we've got this and that, but, you know, it's just uh, everything kind of fell with this information the way it did, plus the stuff that we had going on Uh, shouldn't shouldn't be an issue for anything going forward. We're committed to bringing uh, everything weekly. Yeah, for sure. We are. I mean, it's going to happen, but honestly, I guess it's safe. It's okay to tell folks now that as we actually get into the football season, um you will probably look for episodes on the wednesday thursday type thing of the week because doing a football game preview on a monday just really isn't indicative of quality because so many Mm -hmm. things can happen between monday and wednesday you know fresh off of the heels of a game maybe there's some injury news that comes out maybe there's some other type of news that comes out and it affects that game and we don't want to talk about it too early and then you know, like heck, heck weather. uh, Yeah. Weather. Right. uh, Between that, that time frame. 
So, but for the time being, you know, you can count on getting your episodes on Mondays, Tuesdays at the latest, usually, unless something pops up with us and our schedules just don't line out. But uh, yeah, you will not go a week without getting a Thundercast without a doubt. So uh, Russ, start us off like we always start off. Give us five things every Herd fan needs to know this week. All right. Every week we are blessed to bring you five things every Herd fan needs to know. That is brought to you by and made possible by IgniteLink, the Tri-State's premier IT management team. Kicking off number one, man, it seems like it's so long ago now, um, but number one, Jeff O'Malley leaves to become the athletic director at Lamar. Yeah. Uh, I I mean, it is kind of old news now, and it's only been like four days, but... Well, it was Monday of last week. Okay, so so it's it's, yeah about a week or so, a little over a week, but still. um, We had already recorded and published uh, three or four hours after the news broke. Oh, yeah, that's that's right. So we're looking at it was going to be a week anyway, and with the two additional days or whatever, it's just it's uh, it seems like it's so long ago. But tell me, tell me. Everything about Jeff. Going so look, there. mixed bag uh, for me of him. Uh, I don't want to say emotion, but it's just a mix, a mixed bag for me uh, here in Jeff O'Malley leave. A super stoked for the guy to be able to be named a head athletic director at his own. Uh, he's going to be getting the opportunity to run his own deal. Like it's his own thing now. He's not an interim. He's not an assistant athletic director. Like this is his deal. So in that capacity, I'm super excited for Jeff. He's a great dude. I've interacted with him a number of times over the years. As a matter of fact, our, our boys played Little League together, you know, when, before I moved to Florida. So, you know, we, there was a little bit of involvement there and, and um, always a great guy to, to interact with and valuable to Marshall and uh, to the Huntington community for two decades Mm-hmm. Um, so for, in that capacity, I'm super excited for him to, to, for him to get the opportunity to lead his own programs, but the herd fan in me is like kind of a little upset because I wanted to see him here forever. I mean, not, you know, not, mm-hmm. that's the only reason it is like, he was such a good dude. You don't want to see those people go, but you're happy for him when they get the opportunity. So the herd mm-hmm. fan in me, the purest in me for Marshall doesn't want to lose people like that, you know, and I'm right. fully confident that there will be. Uh, equally quality hires made and however the ultimate hierarchy of responsibility shakes out, like we discussed, you know, in other capacities, will they just take some of those responsibilities and spread them out across several folks across the team and bring on a new member? All that is yet to be determined. Um, But um, I have full faith that Christian Spears is going to bring in just as high caliber of a person or people to, uh, fill those shoes, but man, what shoes they are to fill Jeff O'Malley leaving is, is, um, a big blow to herd fans, a big blow to Marshall university athletics. But like I said, just the city is in, in, as a whole, I mean, his family was entrenched here for two decades. So Mm -hmm. great people. It, It sucks to lose leaders in the community. It sucks to lose people that, um, you come to know and respect in the community. So, um, you know, Be- Beaumont, Texas, Lamar University, they're getting a great family. And, and really, I can't think of a better guy off the top of my head to lead Lamar Athletics into the next era. So congratulations to Jeff, um, without a doubt. I'm in the same boat that you are. And I hate to see him go. I think the way he navigated and got us – position to go into the Sun Belt 
we can never ever be thankful enough, you know, uh, for for how he did that. I think that he shined during that that interim time period. I think that he was valuable before that, but it just kind of ticked up his radar a little bit more for kind of all the things that he could do. He was a finalist for our athletic department or athletic director position. Ultimately didn't get it. Ultimately didn't just immediately resign and go somewhere else. He stayed on. Now I know it's only been a few months and he has now accepted another job, but you can't say that this guy should have spent the rest of his career just being an assistant here when he was up for a job there. So I am extremely happy for him. It just hurts that we're losing such a valuable person. So same boat as you. Yeah. 93 days. I think the number was that he and Christian uh, worked together and, uh, the amount of work that they did in those 93 days together is pretty astonishing. The things that are on the radar, the things that fans are talking about, the things that we have uh, brought out on this podcast of projects that are happening or, you know, the scuttlebutt that's around of what may or may not be happening. And, you know, it's, it's kind of a, it's just a really exciting time to be hurt. We haven't had this much stuff to talk about from several different areas, you know, like the football news and facilities news and, you know, baseball, softball and all these things surrounding Marshall athletics. We haven't had this much stuff to talk about at one time for as long as I can remember as sure. long as, and, and Oh, by the way, a brand new conference, you know, like, yeah. so if you've heard some of the comments made by athletic director, Christian Spears recently regarding Jeff O'Malley and his departure, uh, you can tell that he's very thankful of the the job that Jeff did in his short amount of time as interim and uh, the work that they did together after Christian became AD. And he said it best, you know, when they finally push this baseball stadium across the finish line, it's going to have Jeff's fingerprints all over it. You know, yeah. um, there, there's it's just you can't not see O'Malley fingerprints on everything that's going to be coming to completion over the next couple of years. And you cannot sell short the work that he, that was laid on his plate between <clears throat> Mike Hamrick hanging him up and Christian Spears coming in. I mean, you, you navigated the tumultuous river that is conference USA into the Sunbelt conference as an interim AD, you know, like, yeah. Oh, by the way, we were also looking for a new university president as well. Oh, yeah. by the way, there were um, other projects that were going on within the department and coachings, coaching uh, rumblings and all this kind of stuff. And he's just like, I got this. No big deal. Yeah. So was it a surprise that somebody comes calling like, hey, who's this superstar that you guys have as, the, yeah. you know, your associate athletic director, assistant athletic director? Um we think he can do a bang up job at our school and we want him. So I can't blame sure. him for leaving. I mean, he's, he's a star. He's a star without a doubt. A I am, I am happy for his opportunity. I am happy for their family. Um, I feel like too, uh, that this will be just the first athletic director stop that he will have. Yeah. You know, he'll, he'll be from here, prove himself, you know, move up on the ranks and everything to, uh, a school with uh, maybe more division one luster, uh, yeah. you know, maybe you'd say a little more but, prestige. Uh, yeah. Yeah. 
not bashing Lamar at all. No, uh, no, not not no. the position he's in. But you know, I I I would say everyone in their career wants to go to uh, you know a bigger company or a bigger program in in this realm. And you know, I'm sure that after he has done a good job down there, he'll be on other people's radars to move up to those kind of facilities, uh, not facilities, programs. So I am extremely happy for him. Yeah, me too. The last thing I've got to say about Jeff is who would have thought that a, a an alum of Miami, Ohio, would have come to Marshall and done such a bang-up job for two decades. It's yeah. just not, you know, you, you, when you think of two programs that are like oil and water as far as how fans feel, you know, uh, it's, it's Marshall at Miami of Ohio. And there nonetheless is Jeff O'Malley, uh, uh, you know, a, a Miami alum coming here and doing great things for two decades. What a, what a great dude. Sad to see him go, yes, but happy sir. as hell for him. All right, let's go to number two and football has announced their home game promotions. So let's run those down. Everyone kind of came to expect that, uh, the blackout game would always be on the um, um, during 75 week, 75 week, uh, the Memorial week. And it's not, it's uh, going to be the Wednesday night game uh, here. Uh, we'll get into the rest of the things, but first let's talk about that. So I've got a question about that. So is the blackout mean, fans wear black and the and the team may not because it doesn't make sense to me that you wouldn't go all in uh on 75 week right i mean unless you just don't want to unless you want to stick with the the theme i know like our listeners can't see me they don't have a video feed but you know the helmet that i have over my shoulder on display is uh, the 75 week helmet you know, with the names and the stripe mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. So if they want to stick with that team, which I think, or that theme, which I think is great. I love that helmet. I think it's the most uh, well put together football helmet that Marshall has ever put out. Then I get that because it's a work of art. Um, I think it would be an equal work of art if it were on a black shell as well. But if, if they want to stick with the white helmet and the all black uniforms for 75 week, I, I get that. If they just want to debut the black helmets that that we know are coming for the midweek game against Louisiana. Okay, I get that too. But I'm just unsure of what blackout means, if that means fans only or if that means also the team. So I'm curious. I'm curious about that. Yeah, I'm in the same boat there too. Um, I had thought about that. One of the things, you know, that may not mean anything whatsoever, but our 75-week opponent is App State and their – primary color is black yeah you know so perhaps we were expecting um you know that they would be sending their fans in all black which i mean doesn't mean anything more than just kind of visually takes them out of the equation on tv and in the stands but you know i don't know if that went into the decision um you know i have no idea no one has said anything it just kind of crossed my mind that, you know, App State, black and gold, you know, we were doing a blackout game. Uh, maybe some of their colors, uh, you know, that they would be wearing would have a lot of black on it. 
maybe it was a, a decision that we said, and this is speculating that we don't have black uniforms on this part for that week, is facing them that maybe it wouldn't make sense that they're wearing a black helmet, black pants, and just have a white jersey or something yeah. versus our all black. Maybe it was something that we wanted to change up and just say, hey, this year it might not make sense. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, valid questions. We've seen in the past that uh, teams have come in wearing road whites, you know, and Marshall's wearing worn all black. And I, I think back particularly to when that helmet debuted in 2017, we played Western Kentucky and Western Kentucky came in in all whites, white helmet, white jersey, white pants. And Marshall was, you know, black pants, black jersey and the uh, memorial helmet. And it looked great. I mean, it, it was a it was a. I mean, a great contrast, but um, yeah, I'm sure that went into some, some of it too, but I don't say it's any, I mean, how, if you, if you're saying, look at the schedule, you're like, all right, Appalachian state's coming, they wear black. Well, they also have road whites as well. You know, so, they do. I mean, it's, you know, whatever. I mean, you would tend to think that their administration would be like, yeah, we'll play ball with you. Like we'll wear our road whites on that game. Cause we kind of know it's a little bit bigger than football. So but I don't know. It's just one of those things. So what are the other uh, promos? All right. So we have here, trying to get them loaded up. Uh, the first game, Gardner-Webb. That will be Military Appreciation and Family Weekend. I'm sure they'll have some promos for families and everything. Dress wise, you know, I don't know if they're asking everywhere, everyone to wear camo or anything like that. It's always been in the past that they have, um, you know, military IDs get you certain yeah. promotions, that sort of thing. I'm sure they'll uh, have the uh, military themed attire, like the the gear, in you know, available for purchase in the fan store or down at Glenn's or whatever the right. case may be. I'm sure that stuff will be out there if you're so inclined to buy some. Um. The blackout game aforementioned is uh, October 12th against Louisiana. That is the Wednesday midweek night yeah. game. I do feel like that will look really good on TV. Yeah. You know, it's going to be jet black around October 12th at 7.30 p.m. We'll have all the black there. One final thing I want to say that I didn't say a minute ago, and you, know, you correct me if I'm wrong here, but do you remember when Cincinnati came in Years and years ago now, uh, I'm thinking 2008, maybe 2010, some nine or eight, eight or nine somewhere. We did a whiteout because I remember I was like, well, it's cold. And I don't have a white Marshall at the time uh, hoodie. Yeah. So I went and bought one yeah. for that game. My wife and I and our friend from Cincinnati, who was a Marshall fan that went to Marshall, came down here. We all went out and bought white attire and then i'm thinking that's the era that we had the green peapod helmets and we wore green and cincinnati's team was mostly white <laughs> and so it's it's kind of coordination type deals yeah. i'm not trying to drag anybody or anything but that that's going to play into some of these things here you know we don't want to have a blackout where everyone's wearing black and the team that we're playing on the field is wearing black. Right. Yeah. You know? So um, I, I don't think that 
we're going to have anything like that. I just don't want to see something like that. Uh, I'm not putting that one anywhere near uh, Spears and crew. Like the, the attention sure. to detail of the things that they do, I would feel uh, pretty confident that we're not going to fall into that same thing again. But yes, I remember that. And uh, it's one of those things where like, oh, it'll be a good idea. Let's do a whiteout. And then you're thinking, okay, it's in late October. Holy crap, it's going to be cold. How many people own white coats? Probably yeah. not too many, you know? So, yeah. it, you know, it's, it's just, you live and you learn type thing. And we made that mistake all those years ago. And now it's not a mistake that we will probably yeah. make again. All right, so back on it, Coastal is homecoming. No real theme needed there besides it's homecoming. Yeah. Then we got the App State game, Memorial Week, that we've already discussed. And Georgia State, uh, the final home game, will be uh, Youth Day. Hey, you know I left one off, the first game, Norfolk State, Hall of Fame weekend and Spirit Day. Oh, Hall of Fame weekend, Spirit Day. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So – what we have always said, you and I, is if there is not any kind of a theme like a whiteout or a blackout, it's a greenout. You wear green. They don't need, they don't need to announce no. that we're having a greenout. If they have not announced that you're wearing white or you're wearing black uh, for aesthetic reasons, put your Kelly green on. Yeah. Not not your 1998 Hunter green that you got. And, you know, it's time to upgrade, go find somewhere around here, get you a shirt, get it Kelly, wear some Kelly green to the stadium. Yeah. I'll tell you, uh, officially, if it's not another color, white out, blackout, whatever, it's a green out. Wear green. Yeah. Don't go yeah. buy the pink Marshall shirt. Right. Go buy a green Marshall shirt. Uh, for the love of God, don't be the guy who's wearing the flying WV in the stadium. Oh, man. Go get a Kelly green shirt and rock that bad boy actually honestly you should if you can own enough shirts that it's kelly green day every day if you live in yeah. <laughs> i mean i know a lot of us fit into that boat i mean i could literally wear marshall clothes every day if i felt like it and you know not not come across the same shirt for a couple of weeks but kelly green go sport one new season new era new conference new everything you deserve a new t-shirt you deserve a new game day shirt go get a new polo go get a new uh, t-shirt go buy yourself a new sweet hat go do, go get some fresh gear for the entrance into the Sun Belt. let's look um, cohesive as a fan base go get the right color they're doing things uh, that you know on the field they, they everything is is there's very much a brand cohesion movement going on with Christian Spears and this team this leadership team we'll talk about a lot of that here coming up but uh, go treat yourself. Go treat yourself. Go get some new game day gear and make sure it's sweet ass Kelly Green. And uh, yeah, you can get you a black t shirt too. I got one. I'm rocking. You guys can't, again, the video feed, you can't see me, but I'm rocking a, my custom Will Ulmer t shirt today as we record the show. So uh, have, have a uh, myriad of shirts so that you can partake in all of the outs, right? Green out every other day, get you a white shirt, get you a black shirt, and make sure you can participate as an active fan. Uh, whenever we do these promos. Sure. Number three, MU athletics teams cleaned up in the academic progress rates or APR with eight of our programs achieving a perfect score of 1000. Many of the other teams showed improvement over last year and are cresting above the average uh, 
in their slots nationally. So we talked about this before, right? If you're if a differentiator, if you're a parent particularly, is, you know, if it comes down to Marshall and school B and you've got an opportunity to go to both, if all things considered being equal and you can look at these things like this and go, well, they're killing it in the classroom. Maybe we ought to strongly consider going to Marshall over school, school B. Um, so as long as we keep dominating in the classroom, dominating on the fields, bringing in a high caliber of athlete that can then go on to pursue their professional dreams, then we're doing the right thing. We're doing the right thing. And, uh, there, you know, we've got a lot of things in place. We've talked about the buck, the buck Harless, the help programs, like all these things that we have in place to make our student athletes the best that they can possibly be, the best students they can possibly be. And this is just proof that those systems work and that uh, people – are in place to uh, help our athletes attain those goals. So congratulations to all those athletic programs and making the perfect marks uh, improvement over the previous year. This is big stuff. This is important stuff, just as important as, uh, you know, winning games on the field. And very basically to let our listeners know, this is a division one kind of uh, comparison you know, where they're holding teams to standards and you have to be at a certain and they compare you nationally and things like that. So this was started in 20 or I'm sorry, 2003 as a metric. And uh, if you want to know more about everything, there's a great article uh, that was tweeted out. It's on Herd Zone. Um, but find that article and read about the individual teams and what they've done. Some of these over five years in a row have had uh, perfect scores. Uh, We are just flat out getting it done in the classroom. Yep, we sure are. All right, number four, uh, yet another open house has been announced for the Bill No Flight School. This one will be at Jaeger Airport on July the 2nd. Yeah, again, these uh, new ways to attract prospective students are just so important to what we're trying to do at Marshall and grow and progress into the, you know, next era of professional. And um, if you're interested, I mean, even a little bit, go to the uh, open house, 10 a.m. I think it is uh, July the 2nd up at Jaeger Airport, excuse me, Jaeger International Airport. Um, You can get more information at marshall.edu slash aviation. I mean, if this is the kind of thing that gets your, your gears turning, go find out more about it. I mean, you could be a, you know, a high schooler now that's thinking, yeah, maybe I, I got a little interested in this. Well, go see if you can get a lot interested in it. You know, that's what these mm-hmm. programs are there for. That's what these uh, open houses are for. I mean, take advantage of them. This, this is an excellent opportunity to get uh, some FaceTime and, and some one-on-one contact with uh, the actual people that you'll be involved with if, if you choose to uh, join the Bill No Flight School. So this is a cool thing. Yeah. And um, huge differentiator, as you have used that word several times uh, over different different things, uh, just did it on, on the classroom. But what other schools around here have a flight school? I mean, off the top you of know? my head, I don't know, but we got I, one. I don't, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> uh, and I tell you, that plane looks pretty daggone cool, pretty too. Cool. You know, the one that they show. Uh but yeah, um, like K- KD said, if you're able to go up there, I know it's a 
holiday weekend, you know, maybe you'll be out of town, maybe you got plans, but if you don't go by, support the uh, Don't Know Flight School, go find out a little bit more about it and uh, should be a good time. Yeah, sure should. All right, wrapping us up, number five, Rashin Ali had the Rashin Ali camp, and he had help with uh, from Peter Zamora and quite a few others. But uh, Zamora definitely had uh, uh, tweeted out, you know, that he was there in support, and there were photos of such. But um, this was held over here in Huntington. Uh, near the A.D. Lewis Community Center. Uh, They went over uh, skills, drills, that sort of thing. Uh, It was free, to my knowledge, uh, to to anyone that wanted to go to it. That, to me, just speaks volumes about the character of these individuals, how they want to reach out to the community, how they want to already give back, how they want to make that connection. And that's just, to me, what martial sports is all about. Yeah, it sure is. Um, you know, Rasheen and Pete have uh, really become fan favorites in a short amount of time. I mean, Ali, how do you not become a fan favorite just by the play on the field alone last year? I mean, you're a special player, and, and people are going to rally around that. And he's such a quiet guy. You don't see him in the media a lot. He's not, you know, a big presence on, uh, you know, like Twitter or anything like that. He's fairly reserved. So to, when a story like this comes out, you're like, man, this guy's really interested in becoming an impactful member of his community. And, uh, you know, Pete has been all in about Marshall for a long time. We talked about that when we were talking about spring ball, how, you know, Marshall found him early and he had been all about the herd for a long time. And that's really coming through now that since he's been on campus and been able to be an active member in the community off the field and away from football, this skills and drills camp, it was awesome. I mean, awesome. They hosted about 50 kids. There were right around 20 uh, herd players out there participating in this camp, uh, getting in touch with with the the youth and providing some instruction. But look, man, like if you were nine years old and something like this happened in Huntington and you 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 lived in Huntington, you had the opportunity to go over and rub shoulders with Marshall freaking football players who are probably heroes of yours. And you're right. You're standing right there with them. You know, you're you're getting instructed by them. It's not like you had to go to a university event or buy a ticket to see these guys from afar. Like they were right there coaching drills, skills for free on like a Father's Day weekend. I mean, how cool is that? How cool is that for these kids? Yeah, absolutely. That's another one of those things where you say, that's how you build fans. Like we talked about Mm -hmm. Caitlin going to the volleyball court or the volleyball camp and those camps are building young fans. This is another uh, avenue that that happens. What an amazing, amazing thing to have done. I hope it continues annually for as long as those guys are on campus and beyond once they graduate or move on to their next endeavors. If you know, whatever life, throws at them leads their way i hope this kind of thing continues on and and, uh you know future herd players just continue this skills and drills camp every year for the kids in this community it's a great thing it's a great thing and it costs them nothing a little bit of time you know a little bit of time for them to come out there and that that means the world um the last thing i want to say is to the parents of those players who are out there you guys have done a phenomenal job in reaching your uh children and turning them into fine young men 
and uh, stewards of their community. They've, they've got priorities that are more about we than just me. Like they want to make an impact. They want to do the right thing and they want to be involved. Um, so not lost on me as a father is uh, the job that you have done in, in instilling some values into these young men. So congratulations to all of the parents of these players that contributed and our coaches. I'm sure they were in their ear saying, Hey guys, if you're free, you need to go. Like just, there's no reason to stay at home. You know, if you push them out to the field, there, give them a little nudge. And then I'm sure once a lot of those guys got out there, they were like, man, this is great. I, this is awesome. So sure. great job all the way around by everybody on this camp. Here, here. Well, that wraps us up for the five things for this week brought to you by Ignite Link. So let's get on to our main event, shall we? Yeah, feature story this week is the beginning of the, um, I always want to say conference for some reason, position group breakdown series, leading with the coaching staff. So we've had some moves across the coaching staff, some departures, some rearranging of responsibilities and some new hires. And we want to familiarize everybody with all those coaches. Um, I was, I would have liked to have also included the entire support staff, but man, once I got looking into that, it was like huge. It was huge. Yeah. So they've really over the last uh, five to 10 years uh, increased how many different positions you can have both on the field and analysts that are off the field. And uh, it, there's just a lot of, of volume now to the yeah. people. Yeah. There are a lot of people behind the scenes that you won't see, um, you know, coaching someone, I mean, or they are coaching, but you just don't know who they are because, you know, they're, they're support staff. But uh, from 21 to 22, we had a total overall amount of changes of uh, four, I guess, if you want to call it departures and hirings. But, you know, like I said, there were some shiftings around there. Um, the only departure from the staff, it was offensive coordinator, Tim Cramsey. Uh, I'm sorry, not not the only. We had three departures. Offensive coordinator Tim Cramsey is now the offensive coordinator at Memphis. Cornerbacks uh, coach Dominique Bowman uh, departed to become the corners coach at Arkansas. And then special teams coordinator Jeremy Springer uh, left to become the special teams coordinator at Ole Miss and left that job fairly quickly and now is a special teams assistant with the Los Angeles Rams. So talk about a glow up. Jeez. <laughs> yeah that changed uh it was a within a matter of weeks yeah. maybe one week yeah it was, it was like a cup of coffee type deal in oxford yeah. then yeah. uh then he was back off to la so uh that was that was a quick turnaround leading marshall special teams to uh basically a stopover flight in oxford uh mississippi and then out to la so um the thing we'll do you know, as we do these position group breakdowns, we'll have a we'll have a format that we'll run. But one of the things I like to do is to talk about who I think, and Russ, I'll ask you as well, who you think the biggest loss is from the previous staff or the previous position group, whatever we'll talk about. And for me, that uh, that guy is uh, corners coach Dominic Bowman because he is just a superstar. Um, you could see quite early on that he was a fast riser. Um, he was only going to be moving up in the coaching ranks. Uh, just, just a phenomenal teacher, teacher, uh, you know, aside from the man off the field, but just from a coaching standpoint, from a teaching standpoint, he was amazing at what he does. He used to put out videos all the time where they were doing drills and it would be him coaching the guys up and stuff. And you could just tell like this dude gets it. 
Um, he is a superstar in the making. It's just a matter of how quickly he's going to get on radars. And it didn't take long. You know, he comes here and he's here for a year. And Arkansas is like, hey, yeah, you're pretty damn good. We'd like to have you here. So uh, Dominic Bowman is a guy that I feel will be a D.C. in short time, a short time. He won't be a position coach for very much longer. Um, he'll be a defensive coordinator sooner rather than later. But, uh, you know, not to be short-sighted, there were a lot of – there's a lot of uh, loss here. Special teams was great under Jeremy Springer, so we'll see how that goes moving forward. Um, the offense for what you want to – however you view it was up and down. I mean, if not for the complete emergence of Rasheen Ali and leading the nation in total touchdowns and tied for third in rushing touchdowns, who knows, you know, what this offense would have looked like. We, we had a lot of passing yards. We scored a fair amount of points, but it was the turnover bug all the time. So, you know, for what it's worth, uh, the offense is what you think it is. You know, I, I personally didn't have a necessarily a negative outlook on the way it was. It's just like a bounce here and a bounce there, and, you know, games go differently. You know, you, you lose some close games, a, a one-point loss to App State, a, a, a comeback – you know, a, a monumental fourth quarter comeback by ECU. If that doesn't happen, then the Marshalls, you know, two more in the plus column, and all of a sudden you're, you know, uh, nine and three or whatever. So, um, who do you think is the biggest loss from this this group of the three that I mentioned? I've got to go the same way as you. Um, and if I had to rank them, I would then put Springer as second, even though it was only special teams I do feel like you know he was a great coach and I do not want to pile on Tim Cramsey but I view his run here as a disappointment versus the fanfare that he had coming in with the success uh, at the other stops the all gas no breaks I mean yeah. I was so pumped and it just did not pan out uh, so I am viewing this kind of as addition by subtraction of going in a different way. And we'll talk more about his replacement coming up. But uh, the clear leader is everything you said about Dominic Bowman. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it would not surprise me in some capacity, you know, if, 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 if Huff and Bowman are tight that, you know, if an opening comes up down the road or something like that, you see him back in a, in a larger capacity if, if Huff is still here when, when – if those stars align, let's put it that way. If, if, right. Um, but, yeah, Cramsey, for, for all that he was billed to be, it never translated truly fully like it did at Sam Houston State. Uh, he walked into a great scenario at Sam Houston State, taking over for uh, Phil Longo, who is now the offensive coordinator at UNC – I mean, they were just tearing it up down there. They were leading the FCS and passing yards and 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 points and all this kind of crazy stuff. And he walked in to a to a great offense that was ready made, and they just continued to flow. So you look at that and you think, all right, we're going to bring that to Huntington, and we'll you know maybe we'll start seeing things in bunches and this that and the other in it. And it just didn't fully come to fruition like it did there. We won some games. We lost some games we shouldn't have. We we probably won a game or two that we probably shouldn't have. But um, all in all, it was a very up and down tenure. Um, but to see him, you know, move on to Memphis, I can't say that I'm upset by it. Um, I'm not like good. I'm not. I'm, yeah, I'm also not like good riddance, but I'm also not like, eh, well, that sucks. Because I think that who we have now 
can be equally, if not more successful uh, with what we're building here. So let's talk about those, uh, that new assignment, right? Cause that's who we're talking about. And it's, it's Clint Trickett moving over from passing game coordinator and slash wide receivers coach to offensive coordinator slash quarterbacks coach, which is, uh, not his first run at OC. He was a uh, OC at, um, FAU a couple of years ago under Lane Kiffin. And, uh, I don't know how involved that an offensive coordinator is as far as play calling duties goes in a Lane Kiffin offense. I'm not sure who would be the play caller. I would tend to think that it would be Kiffin, but uh, I'm not privy to that kind of stuff. But nonetheless, I am excited that uh, Clint Trickett can be uh, just as, if not more so, successful um, with this herd offense the way it's built now. Uh, thoughts? on moving Clint Trickett from passing game coordinator, maintaining that internal movement and elevating him to OC. Was 100% for it. Um, I, I think that uh, you've got someone that's young, that's loved by the players, that uh, has an offensive let's pile up the yards and the points mindset. Uh, you know, who wants, in my opinion, who wants to watch boring football like the old Big Ten used to be of, you know, hey, let's have a, a really good game today where we win 13 to seven. Yeah. You know, that's not that's not me. To me, that's not Marshall football. I want to be scoring 40 a game. I want to be throwing the ball all over the place, run all over everybody. And I think that's the kind of mindset he brings. Key to me, too, is him having that title of quarterbacks coach. Um to go with the offensive coordinator. Um, one of the things that I feel like we have in years past, not having one official on, on the coaching staff, someone that is designated as the quarterback's coach, I feel like that is something that when we have one, it is obvious that we have one. Um, I'm not suggesting that last year no one was coaching them. I think Cramsey may have held that title. He did. And, you know, I just did not see any kind of further development or progression or whatever. And I kind of look that with our roster makeup right now, it is key that we have someone uh, providing tutelage and everything to these young lions that we're bringing in, you know, so many on the roster uh, that will be here for the next four to five years. So that's key for me as well. Yeah, the the old, you know, three yards or four yards in a cloud of dust or whatever the thing, that's that's gone. You know, in today's world where you are fighting to get every butt in the seat at the stadium, you can't have a boring brand of football. I mean, people right. will just stay home and, and watch the highlights on TV because if you're and winning 13 to 7, you're going to have like four. And that's it. So the evolution of college football too is you are not going to win too many games if that's your offensive mindset to just have a great defense because the the offenses have just continued to get better and yeah. better and better, uh, and it's all about scoring points. And they then score those uh, margins of victory uh, yeah. in the eyes of the voters. So. I don't care how you feel about it. If you're a team like Marshall, style points matter. 
So if you go out and you can beat a team by 80, you need to beat that team by 80. That's just how it is. That's the system that has been created. You know, Georgia, for for lack of a better uh, example, they can go out and beat every team on their schedule by a field goal and still be ranked number one or number two in the country. That's just the way the system is. Marshall could go out and beat every team on their schedule, and they're going to have to do it by 30, you know, give or take a game here or there. But – to really get some attention brought to themselves. And these guys know that. These coaches know yeah. that. They they don't owe anybody anything, right? The the people that sit back and say, well, you shouldn't be running up the score. Uh, excuse me, there is no running up the score because the last I checked, there's a defense on the other side of that offense right. whose job it is to stop you. And if yeah. you can't stop someone from scoring, why the hell would they stop scoring? I mean, yeah. that's that you, you're, you play to win, right? Herm Edwards coming out in me again. So it's not about necessarily about embarrassing anybody, but you've got a job to do. And it's not my job to go easier because your job, you can't do your job, right? That's how many times have we seen it bite us in particular right. that we would take our foot off the gas and that just allows someone to stay in the game or you, you know, it's the years old adage of the prevent defense doesn't really prevent anything. It just allows people to move down the field uh, and allows people to come back. When you start playing not to lose, you know, not playing to win, but you stop what's working and you switch gears, it it never turns out good. Very rarely can you turn it off and then turn it back on because if you could turn it back on, then you'd just be like, Oh, we need a touchdown. Let's flip the switch and get one real quick and we'll get back in the game. So it doesn't make sense to stop once the machine is going, you just keep going, just keep going. Now you have your starters in when you're up 40 with five minutes left in the fourth, of course not. But if your second unit or third unit can continue to move the ball, then continue to move the ball. Yeah. Don't put them in there and just start trying to chew clock. Now you can run more clock than normal, but get these guys in here. What's to say that they're not going to be the next man up and they need to know at game speed and playing our offense and our defense, they need to get in there. They need to prove themselves. They need to be playing uh, their normal, not taking it easy. So they end up wind up getting injuries because they're trying to, do something they're not used to doing. No, go full speed. The other coaches, I mean, you know, you don't, you don't see that so much anymore where another coach is in the press conference later, like, ah, they beat us by four touchdowns instead of three touchdowns. They don't care, man. A loss is a loss. Yeah. Well, they all know the system it's in place. It's what you have to do that. So that that's the game we all play now that, that that's what you have to do. So I like the move. I'm with you. I was 100% behind, you know, elevating Clint Trickett to the offensive coordinator position slash quarterback coach. Uh, I think he's uh, kind of the right guy for the job right now. He's young and energetic, and he can relate to his guys really well. And he, oh, by the way, he was a, you know, Division One FBS quarterback at Florida State, then at West Virginia University. He comes from the legendary college football Trickett family. So the pedigree is there. He's got the experience. I mean, what more do you want? what more do you want so i i like the idea of where we're going i i I have trust in clint to develop some of these young guys some of these freshmen to be a quality qb2 qb3 this year and and we kind of cross our fingers a little bit and hope that uh henry columbia or whoever qb1 is stays healthy 
for the lion's share of the season, if not the entire season. So there's a lot of um, uh, reserved excitement from my chair just because of, of the roster makeup at that position. But um, I fully am behind him as offense coordinator and quarterback coach this year moving forward. We've got three staff additions that we've got to talk about um, left from those departures, kind of, sort of. Uh, Jovan Bonite coming over from UK is your new passing game coordinator slash wide receivers coach. He's wide receivers coach at the uh, University of Kentucky. Several stops before that as well, but most recently over in Lexington, uh, coaching up wide receivers for the Wildcats. Uh, Chevis Jackson is your new cornerbacks coach. Comes over from Kansas, where he was DB's coach at for the Jayhawks last year. Also an excellent pedigree. Um, played corner at LSU. I believe he was a member of that 07 national championship team. So if you know anything about mm -hmm. college football, when you start thinking about such and such you, like DBU, RBU, um, you know, everybody's going to pump their chest and say they're that. But for me, over the course of, you know, the last 20-ish years, one of those schools that is continually DBU is LSU. So mm -hmm. um, excellent Excellent. A little, some NFL experience there, too. So he's played in the league. He can talk to these guys they, about what it takes to get to where you want to go. Um, so another excellent hire. I know a lot of fans will look at that and go, Kansas? What? But yeah. it, it was Les Miles was there, you know, for, for a number yeah. of years. And that's a good We a spoke good. about that in, in one of the early <laughs> yeah. episodes of, of this uh, podcast. And I brought up uh, – you were talking about uh, Kansas and I brought up the fact that Les Miles was there and that's why he was there. Yeah. But we should not hold. That's the nature of the beast. People are yeah. going to do that. I'm not saying yeah. we're doing that, but Joe Schmo fan is like Kansas. What? <laughs> you know, yeah. but look, look at where, you know, some of the greatest coaches, head coaches yeah. started. You know, Correct. Yeah. no, no one starts at like, uh, Oh, I just happened to, be head coach at Alabama at my first stop ever. Right. You know, right. Um, Chevis Jackson with his, uh, you cannot get in a position like he was in defensive back, make it to the NFL, play in the NFL and not have solid techniques. Correct. You know, so being able to, I don't care if he only taught high school yeah, uh, and coached at high school, we're getting a guy that could come in here and immediately improve techniques, can immediately make an impact. Uh, we're replacing Dominique Bowman, who you talked about, with all the, the stuff that he did. This is a great hire. Home yeah, run hire. Home it run is. hire. And if the, if, if the guy was on staff at a, any number of other schools – fans wouldn't be so quick to judge. It's just because right. it's Kansas. And you're like, what? What do we, yeah. but you got to get look, you got to look past that. Right. Everybody goes, everybody starts out somewhere or has a couple of stops here and there. And you're like, okay, what, what whatever you, you can't just hold that. Over. The, the, he's going to be an excellent addition to the staff. You watch and see uh, last is Jonathan Gallant, the special teams coordinator comes over from Alabama where he was a quality control analyst, uh, for the Crimson Tide for a number of years. So you got that connection with Charles Huff. And, you know, much like with Doc Holliday was identifying young talent early in his career, um, I feel like Huff has got his finger on the pulse of, of a lot of the young up-and-comers as well. Uh, a number of guys have come over either in uh, from the coaching staff or in the support staff from Alabama. So 
I mean, Alabama's Alabama, man. You know, they're attracting the best of the best, no matter who you are. If you look down their coaching staff right now, you're like, geez, all these guys have been at high level stops before. And, and he's, you know, just a position coach at Alabama. Well, you know, they, they can do that. But uh, so Jonathan, uh, is coming over from Alabama. He, he, he was at Virginia Tech before that. And, you know, we'll see. Uh, we'll see. It's pretty big shoes to fill, but the cupboard is by no means bare as far as the special teams go uh, in the return game, at least. You know, they got to do some things at punter. They got to do some things at kicker, and we'll see how that shakes out. But, uh, you know, got to like the hire. Um, anybody with the pedigree, the experience could be the next uh, stud special team guru. You never know. Yeah, and special teams is one of those areas that you can 100% win and lose games week in, week out. You know, if uh, if you remember uh, Beamer's uh, Virginia Tech decades ago, special teams was one of their ways that they helped change the game. Of course. Block punts, you know, changing that field position. Uh, you know, all the different things that they did. They punted well. They kicked well. Uh, it was a staple of those teams, uh, just as much as a great defense would be. So uh, there's a really good opportunity here for uh, us to make a, a big splash with kicking and punting because I, that was two of the things that I said, you know, early that we're going to have to improve on on greatly. And yeah. we've got new, new personnel coming in. Uh, I just – I really think there will be a, a big push to make a, a splash in this special teams. I just have some kind of feeling that there's going to be a lot of focus on it for this uh, coming year. Well, I like some of the weapons that we return, and I talked about the return game, and we'll get in more of this later when we talk about you know more of the special teams, but the wide receiver room is so deep. Uh, there are so many athletes on this team that you really – look and you start to think, man, we could be real dangerous in the kick return game, man, we could be really dangerous in the punt return game. And we already were last year. So if you can, you know, if you got a quality punter on, on the roster, which I think we do, uh, we'll see who shakes out in the kicking department, both in kickoff specialist and the place kicking duties. But that falls on uh, the new special teams coordinator to get ironed out. And he's got the pedigree. He's got the, got the um, experience. It's been at some high-profile places, Virginia Tech, Alabama. All you got to do is bring that knowledge and uh, and experience to Huntington, West Virginia, and let your playmakers make plays. Here's the thing. <clears throat> talking about coaching rankings, um, there's no one better, really, in my opinion, when you talk about uh, previewing college football than Phil Still. He's the best. And uh, as such – I follow his rankings quite a bit. I read his book from cover to cover. Well, I won't say cover to cover. I'll read who we play and who uh, we are. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, he does the rankings for every position group by conference and, and, you know, national rankings and all that kind of stuff. He don't do really national rankings for coaches, but they do rank the coaches by in the – rank them in each conference. And in the Sun Belt, not too, uh, not too forgiving to herd coaches. He ranked the herd staff ninth out of 14 uh, coaching staffs in the Sunbelt Conference, and get this, sixth out of seven in the Sunbelt East. Ouch. So yeah. uh, I don't know what uh, metrics he uses, you know, per se, to come up with these rankings. I know there's several different uh, 
um, sets of criteria that he uses to come up with various rankings. But man, that is no way in shape or form um, something you want to see. Uh, I will say this. I think you're wrong, <laughs> but I, I did not expect to see six out of seven in the Sunbelt East. Wow. I think that's just a little bit of locker room motivation. I hope that, so. That, uh, you know, maybe Huff will uh, take that as a personal challenge. Uh, you know, maybe we should uh, do a little doctoring of the, and I took that personally with yeah. Michael Jordan <laughs> and, uh, you know, throughout uh, the year, maybe we can respond to Mr. Phil Steele with a uh, good old Thundercast pod meme of, yeah. uh, of Coach Huff doing that. And uh, I think uh, I think that maybe he's misreading a little bit. And yeah, we've got these green, Kelly green colored glasses that we're viewing this on. But, you know, what other uh, Sunbelt East teams have an NFL cornerback coaching the cornerbacks. Yeah. Do I mean, we have I, one? I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know. I don't either. Um, but I do know, you know, a lot of times when you have to cover 120 teams or 130 teams, whatever, you might not be able to have the sheer amount of time to delve into everything. And you see that we lost our offensive coordinator of five years or six years or seven or whatever it's even been and that we're replacing with this or we're doing this and, hey, this happened, you know, oh, we had this same kind of team in and they only finished this last year. A lot of that goes into it because you just cannot do a deep dive into that many teams and that many positions and all that. I think that he is just mistaken, underinformed, and flat-out wrong. Yeah, I would say the ranking is very, very low, and I have no idea how they go about doing this stuff, but still. Uh, we've talked about on this show before that this staff is, is, has several former head coaches on it in various capacities, you know, and has several former coordinators coaching uh, position groups or, you know, whatever the case may be. So the, it's not like a bunch of uh, upstart coaches, you know, a ragtag bunch that they've thrown together. And it's like, well, let's see how it goes. Now, there's a lot of guys that have been in this game for a long time. A lot of guys that have coached at a high level for a long time, mixed with some, you know, young studs that we believe could be um, a big, a bigger part of the college football world moving forward. So, you know, I would say rankings like this, you look back and go, wow, missed out on that one, but that's it. I mean, how can you speculate? You know, there's, there's so much going. Eh, I know there's, you know, you can't take away from the Appalachian State staff because they win and they win a lot of games and they've been winning for a long time. And Coastal Carolina has been winning a lot of games for a number of years. So I'm sure they have a quality staff there, but you can't just say, well, you know, they haven't done it yet. So they're not any good. I mean, okay, well, you can do it. I mean, you've obviously done it. So it is what it is. But I think at the end of the day, when we go back and look at this season, we'll go, yeah, they damn sure weren't sixth out of seventh in the Sunbelt East. So, yeah. Let's give a quick rundown of the actual coaching staff this year. A uh, few talking points, and then uh, we'll move on. Uh, head coach, of course, is Charles Huff, moving into second season as head coach, of course, formerly running backs coach at the University of Alabama, widely uh, known as one of the top, if not the top recruiter in the country, and I think we're seeing that a little bit more. Excited for what year two brings, seven and five in season one. Excited for what year two brings because – no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, how much you've coached, you're still a first-time, first-year head coach. 
And there are some bumps in the road that go along with that. And there are some learning experiences that go along with that. And I'm sure he would be the first to tell you those same things. So now in year two, much like you see in quarterbacks, a lot of times that jump and that leap in development from freshman to sophomore year or sophomore to junior year, you should expect to see a little bit of a leap in from year one to year two uh, with Charles Huff as well. Uh, will it translate to wins and losses? Who knows? But as as far as the uh, program he's trying to run, the decisions he'll he'll make, the things he's learned from, there's no question that he'll be a better head coach in year two than he was in year one. And again, he will be the first to tell you that, I am sure. Um, but what do you think, you know, real quick about uh, Charles Huff in year two? What excites you? What intrigues you? And really, what what may worry you a little bit? I'm not worried. I'm not worried at all. Uh, other than losing him to a uh, higher program, I am uh, seeing the fruits of his labors on the recruiting trail in the transfer portal alone. Yeah. I am seeing exactly what he said in his interview to come here that certain positions have a certain height. Uh, they have a certain size. Uh, he has done that. We've talked about how he improved the size of the defensive backs and how we're looking at 6'2", 6'2", 6'2", 6'1", 6'3", 6'0". You know, um, we have gotten bigger. We have gotten better. More importantly, we have added a lot of depth that we did not have there before. I don't care how dynamic your starters are. You have to have backup plans. You have to have depth. You have to have rest from time to time. You have to be able to trans transition people in when there are injuries. Uh, there are sicknesses, injuries, things that you just cannot control that you need to account for. Uh, someone cramps up during a game. They get a concussion. Things are going to happen. He has added a lot of depth. I feel like he is uh, going to learn a lot. I feel like Last year, he said he learned a lot after that ECU game, you know, clock control, game management, that sort of thing. Um, I am not worried whatsoever. I think he is going to put the Sun Belt on notice, and I feel like he's going to make a huge splash, and I think we're going to have a great year, and it's due to him. Yeah, we're seeing a lot of that in the national media. There's been a lot of, you know, preseason Marshall number one or preseason Marshall winning the Sun Belt. And, you know, for all that hype, that's great for fans. Fans want to see that. They eat it up. It's great for social media chatter and all that kind of stuff. But as a head coach, you're thinking, come on, guys. You know, <laughs> like, don't, don't lay it all on me right now. Or maybe you're that guy that's like, good, that's what I want. I want all that yeah. pressure. I want to have to live up to the hype. So, um, I, I love the attitude that Charles Huff brings. I love the energy. I love the attitude. I love that we're going to be Marshall, whether we're up 40 or down 40. I love the we're not going to, you know, give up attitude. I love the, you know, we're going to keep scoring on you unless you can stop us type attitude. I mean, I love that. That's what I'm here for. And I, I think um, I think if uh, if enough things go right, if we can just, you know, fix some shortcomings from last season that we can be a very, very dangerous team in 2022. Moving on, offensive coordinator slash quarterbacks coach Clint Trickett. We've talked about him at length quite a bit. Uh, second season here at Marshall, of course. First season as OC and quarterbacks coach where he was a uh, wide receivers coach and passing game coordinator. Last year he does, as I mentioned, have 
uh, offensive coordinator experience. He was co-OC slash quarterbacks coach at FAU before coming here. Last year, as the passing game coordinator, Marshall uh, racked up the number 18 passing offense in the country, uh, almost 295 yards per game. And But the big bugaboo um, was that we were tied for third in interceptions. You know, mm-hmm. so that, that's – that's not something that you can throw onto the coach, you know. Um, it's it's a little bit of kind of everything. Not everything is falls on the quarterback, you know. But so that was the great equalizer as far as our passing production. We could throw for a bunch of yards, but then the interception bug would pop up, and you wouldn't see points for all those yards. So there's a lot there. Um, of course, it's an all brand new quarterback room essentially. So we'll mm-hmm. see if that if that. Um, success can continue or if we're you know if we take a step back a little bit and I'm kind of okay with taking a step back from the overall passing yard output I don't care if we put up 295 yards a game if Rashin Ali has a very Rashin Ali season then putting up less pass yards is fine as long as it goes with less interceptions as well because that probably yeah. puts us in a better position to win um, we've talked about Clint. We're both 100% behind the decision to elevate him to OC and quarterbacks coach. I just wanted to get that out there that, you know, he is the guy in that position yet again. So let's move along to defensive coordinator slash safeties coach Lance Gidry, second season as DC at Marshall, um, formerly safeties coach at FAU before coming to Marshall. Last year, the number 28 pass defense in the country, 205.3 yards per game. But not sexy in the rush defense department, 104th in the country, giving up almost 189 yards per game. That has to change. And I think it's going to in a big way. We've seen a lot of moves in the transfer portal from the defensive line standpoint. Um, We bring back a ton of great playmaking linebackers. So um, defensive coordinator Lance Guidry. Thoughts? I'm a big fan. And I expect to see the passing defense. I'm not going to suggest that they're going to finish 28th again, but I think they will excel. I also think that we will be a turnover positive team, that we will create a lot of turnovers. Um, And I think that it'll be from some of the things that, that we've done, you know, a lot of sacks, a lot of turnovers, the schemes that he does, you know, I'm, I'm on board with. I feel the downfall last year was because of the personnel and I'm not bagging on players, but it's the size of the personnel because as we talked about in a previous show, uh, the defensive mindset from doc was all about speed and it was taking a, a player and kind of bumping him down. So you would take a, a linebacker, and put him at defensive end, a defensive end, and put him at defensive tackle, uh, bring a, a safety up to be that linebacker, that sort of thing. You had smaller people there to do that. Uh, build around speed, smaller people, you're susceptible to uh, a big big uh, running game coming at you. So I think this year we're going to see a lot of improvement there with your big body guys, 300-pounders on the offensive line, winning that uh, – game in the trench a lot better and I think that we're going to see Lance Guidry's uh, squad be probably in my opinion the bright spot of the team amongst all the bright spots 
I think that we are going to be a hell of a defense. Yeah, they could be absolutely um, dangerous is an understatement, really, because of the, the sheer transformation that we've seen at some of these positions, coupled with the fact that some of the guys we've got returning, uh, you know, there, there's some really high playmaking ability guys that are going to be on that defensive line there that, you know, um, Abraham Bowplan is back. Eli Neal is back. I mean, you got all these dudes that uh, are just tackling machines. And if you can start to plug those holes a little bit better from a defensive line and start winning at the point of attack and turn the ball over less on offense, then, you know, that all helps out your defense. So I'm excited at the trajectory, at least on paper right now, uh, as we get into the summer session and, you know, we start to dive in deeper to some of these actual positions. Um, I'll, I'm excited and intrigued, really, to see how uh, we are actually looking. So, but, but from, you know, from a, from a distance and just what was been done through recruiting and the transfer portal and, and who's coming back, you got to be excited. You have to be excited. Um, assistant head coach, tight ends coach Bill Legg in his second season again <laughs> at Marshall. This is his third stint with MU. It's well-documented tight ends coach slash recruiting coordinator way back in 0102 and then offensive coordinator from 2010 to 2017. Um, there's not much left you can say about Bill Legg. He's he knows some daggone football. He knows some daggone offense. Uh, was calling the plays for one of the most prolific offenses that Marshall has ever seen, and um, you know, back on staff again. Just a wealth of knowledge. A, a great, great teacher of football. And um, personally, I kind of thought he got a bad rap before. You know, and I'm glad he's back again because it's obvious what he brings to the table. So uh, thoughts on uh, assistant head coach, a tight end coach, Bill Legg. I contributed to the bad rap that he got, and uh, I will gladly eat my words that I said back then. Um, I feel like he was a scapegoat a lot um, to where we wanted – no third and 14. Hey, let's do a uh, shotgun draw up the middle. Um, you know, that was one of my major complaints. I feel like that was the offense that he was told to run. And I feel like uh, he could have gotten, I'm glad we went with Trickett, but I feel like he could have gotten the promotion to offensive coordinator this offseason and being under Coach Huff, I would have supported that and said, you know, that's probably a good move, you know, because of the knowledge that he has. You know, he was there at Purdue uh, before, and they had a, a really good offense, balanced, uh, high power. Uh, when we were running the up-tempo, high-powered offense here, we were, I mean, one of the tops in the nation, like top five. Oh, yeah. And, I, I think he did get that bad rap. He brings a lot to the table just to be a quote unquote tight ends coach. I feel like he's going to be in there in those offensive meetings, having a big impact on, on our entire offensive game. When we're talking about, we've got other pass game coordinator, run game coordinator, and an overall offensive coordinator. It looks like he's only doing anything with the tight ends, but you have to feel like, you know, he's sharing ideas. He's bringing that knowledge, just like you always see on teams that they might not have 
the uh, and I'm not talking about teams just in in college football, but our everyday work areas. You know, there are people that bring a lot to the table, no matter what role it is they officially hold. And I kind of have changed my tune on Bill learning more and more after his departure that uh, I don't think it was his problem. I think that he is an offensive mind that wants to put a bunch of points on the board. And uh, I think that having a guy like that with all the pedigree that he has and the knowledge he has coaching our tight ends, I think that's a steal. And that's one of the reasons, again, that I don't see Phil Steele ranking our coaches that low because top to bottom, we've got so much depth in our coaches with the experience. Yeah. That's what I was, I was saying before, like, you know, former head coaches, former coordinators that are in these position coach um, roles currently, but any good leader, you know, this, any good leader is going to listen to the advice of everyone that he has available to him. And, and mm-hmm. Clint Trickett would, it would behoove him to listen to the knowledge that the other assistant coaches are bringing. And you know that he will ultimately this, these decisions fall on him to make. So I think we're in a good spot. You know um, you mentioned that Bill leg could have easily been um, elevated to offensive coordinator. And while I agree, um, I would have been afraid if that would have been the move that would have been made how many of those fans are unable to look past, you know, the hashtag fire leg. They just sure. can't, they can't get past it. So that's huh. a, that's a lot of the fan base that goes, Oh, great. Here we go again. You know, what, what always happens though is uh, fans have real short memories and it's what have you done for me lately? Yeah. And I'm in that same boat. I'm not bashing anyone. It's the nature of being a fanatic, a fan. Of course. And um, he comes out, Clint Trickett comes out, Bill Legg comes out, whoever comes out of that tunnel as the offensive coordinator, and you start dusting people, dropping 52 points on them, and you're putting up 600 yards like we were back in 2014. Yeah. You know, uh, 2012 when we were doing even more. um, People's memories are going to be like, you know, I probably was too hard on Bill Legg. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Same, same as I just admitted without him doing that. So <laughs> uh, it, it would have been short term, I feel. Now, if he came out and said, hey, we're going to run, uh, uh, you know, shotgun draw up the middle yeah. 14 times in a row and defensive uh, coordinators know what's coming. Right. Then that would have been a different story. Right. But, uh, you know, we're just playing the guessing game because it's not going to happen. He's he's not the offensive coordinator this year. That's uh, Mr. Trickett. But uh, I I agree with what you're saying. There would have been a backlash. Oh, yeah. I'm just talking about from an initial reaction. You know, like, oh, sure. great. This is the move. This 100%. is the direction, man. I can't. I, we're doing this again. Okay. But no, 100%. I think it, I think we'll be ultimately just fine. The more offensive minds that you can get, the more creative minds. And let's look, look, Bill gets to look at things from a different lens because he's not tasked with being the offensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. So he has the freedom to explore things and look at things and, and, and break things down from a different perspective because he's not concerned with coordinating an offense week in and week out that doesn't fall on sure. him. So you get the very best of his creativity. You get the very best of what he sees in a tendency of a defense by uh, 
by chance. I don't know why I got hung up on chance. But uh, having all these knowledgeable, experienced coaches that have achieved at a high level is only a benefit to the herd staff. So moving on, run game coordinator slash running back coach Telly Lockett, also in his second season. Uh, offensive coordinator, I'm sorry, offensive senior quality control analyst at the U in 18 and 19, then tight ends coach at Florida State after that. Uh, that's a that's a, another Florida State pipeline tie that we missed when we were talking about those. Um, I, I totally slipped my mind that Telly Lockett was uh, from, uh, from the uh, uh, Florida State staff. All he's been able to do in his last couple of years is have uh, his RB1, Rasheen Ali, lead the nation in total touchdowns last year, 25, uh, tied if in rush TDs with 23, and led the nation in total points scored with 150. I think Telly Lockett might know a thing or two about coaching running backs. Some cool notes about him is that he's a South Florida high school coaching like legend, knows uh, some guys that herd fans are quite familiar with, with coaching those dudes uh, – down in South Florida, I think you know the names for us. Um, thoughts on Telly Lockett? I really hate that he's probably not going to be here for too long. Yeah, because uh, he's going to be on everybody's wish list after this year. He's probably on a bunch of wish lists already. Uh, everywhere this guy goes at every level, there's offense, and he obviously knows it. He knows the game. I feel like he is immensely respected by the players and the other coaches. Um, I have heard great things about him before he came here uh, through a mutual friend. And it, it was I, – I feel like a steal to get him. And the success that – you know, maybe you put it all on Ali – you know, maybe you put it on the offensive coordinator or whatever. I don't. I feel like that Coach Huff was a running back uh, coach with a lot of success. He specifically chose Telly Lockett for that position, and there is great success there. I feel like Huff noticed and recognized that talent. He, he knew that he was going to be a good coach. We're seeing it on the field. I feel like with our dual running backs that hopefully are going to run all over everybody this year, this is just going to increase his aura. And I feel like maybe another year or so is all we're going to have of Mr. Lockett because of the tremendous success that he has on the field. Yeah, when you look at the moves, particularly at the University of Miami, where they went back to their roots a little bit and and brought in a very Miami-like coach, coaching staff, you would think that they've got a circle around Lockett and it's like, all right, this could be our guy, you know, in a year or two years. So um, I'm with you. I think he's one of the guys that is poised to be offered a myriad of positions. And, like, he's going to have his um, – choice of suitors you know if he chooses to leave Huntington so if I'm a Marshall fan which I am if you, you we should just appreciate the guy while we have him because he's doing great things with our running backs we could see even bigger success as a running back unit this year um but I absolutely love the hire I look forward to or I'm the hire shoot I look uh, I'm absolutely stoked that he's our running backs coach and um as long as we have him I'll be excited to have him so 
there's not much more I can say about him. I think he's an absolute superstar on this staff. And if we have him, you know, one year, great. If we have him two years, I'll be ecstatic. But uh, you, when you when you see those superstars, you just appreciate them while you got them because uh, they're not usually around for long. Offensive line coach Eddie Morrissey, also in his second season, who was the offensive line coach at Austin P in 2019, then a short stint at Marist Catholic High School in Eugene, Oregon in 2020 before, you know, making the move over to the herd. Um, as an offensive line, we did great last year, and we all know that. There was a lot of uh, departures from, the, from a great offensive line, 21 sacks allowed in 2021. 19 in just in 13 games. It's a great stat for an offensive line, how well you can protect your quarterback. And of course, of course, they opened all those running lanes for one of the nation's top runners in Rasheen Ali. Uh, providing quality pass protection to your quarterback is really, I don't know if it's job one, but man, if this year it better be job one with the way the, the quarterback room is, is um, stacked up with a lot of youth there. So, this is a big task for Coach Eddie Morrissey to, to uh, keep our quarterbacks clean as long as possible uh, because we know what uh, LeBourne and uh, Ali are able to do. We've seen flashes of it from LeBourne already in the spring game. We saw it all last year with Ali. So you give him a, a hint of daylight and he could be gone. So, um, you know, if I'm, if, if, if I'm the coach this year, I'm thinking – I'm all in on pass protection. I'm all in on taking care of my quarterback because I've got stud running backs that can make up for a, a, a little bit of a downturn in running protect or run game run blocking. There we go. I don't think that we will have a downturn in run blocking, but I'm just saying, boy, oh boy, pass protection is paramount. Uh, thoughts on Eddie Morrissey? The only really thing I need to add uh, about him is that he was at Mississippi State and worked there when uh, Huff was there. Mm -hmm. And he is another one of those that Huff has seen. Hey, I like what this guy brings to the table. I like his work ethic, um, that sort of thing. He saw something in him. Uh, we had pretty good success there last year. Year in, year out, we have been known to have a good quality offensive line. Uh, it's almost as if you know, we send out four seniors that have been there, you know, as rocks and everything. And then we're like, oh, it's a question mark. And we end up having a great year. Mm -hmm. uh, we just seem to continue to reload. So um, I, I like him. I think uh, he uh, he shined a little last year. I hope that we have good success there this year. And it helps us with winning those games in the trench. I'm not sure that the transfer portal doesn't benefit a singular position group better than offensive line because That's you can good point. you can make immediate upgrades across the offensive line and we've shown that this year they go out and they get three guys in addition to who they're recruited in in addition to who had valuable reps for the herd last year um but still, I'm going to bang this drum until we actually get into games. I don't care really what it looks like on paper. These guys are, could be – we could have five All-Americans starting across the line, but we don't know that right now. What we do know is that we lost three offensive linemen that played at an extremely high level for us over a number of years. So until we're proved that that's not an issue anymore, it's an issue, right? Until It is until it isn't. 
So yeah. <clears throat> that's just kind of where I'm at. And I think a lot, I don't think any fans are like, we're going to be terrible in the offensive line. I don't think anybody's like that, but this is very much a, you got to show me. I'm like, we can talk about it all we want, but until you prove to me that we've made up for the departures of Millette, Zagaro, and Ulmer, we have to make up for the departures of Millette, Zagaro, and Ulmer, right? Uh, like three, three in the portal, and, and the guys that were here and all, I have fully faith that they'll put together a quality five and maybe even go seven, eight, nine deep. But until we actually see it, until we actually see it happen at the point of attack, it's a question mark. It, it just is until it isn't. But I, I love what uh, Morrissey is doing. I love what uh, they've been able to bring in and, and, and um, you know, what they hope to do with this new look offense under uh, Clint Trickett. Let's move on to defensive line. Ralph Street, everybody knows Ralph Street. Second season with the herd as defensive line coach. I mean, football all timer here for the herd. Mac era great. Um, came over from Florida AM where he was defensive coordinator from 2018 to 2020 for joining the herd. So another one of those coordinators in a position group position for the herd. Um, tied for 30 in tackles for loss last year with 86 in 13 games. Now, we know not all of those are from the defensive line, but, well, you can't get a tackle for loss unless you get somebody behind the line of scrimmage. So you mm-hmm. would like to think that there are a fair amount of those 86 come from um, the defensive linemen. Or and, the quote-unquote assist that those yeah. defensive linemen are giving you yeah. by pushing and tying up those offensive uh, linemen to allow a linebacker or a safety to come in. So nobody other than Ralph Street may benefit more from the from the uh, tactical moves made in the portal with mm-hmm. getting bigger along the defensive line. One of the best things that I've heard in the last couple of weeks regarding this team is that Huff saying we're bringing an SEC caliber defensive line to the Sunbelt Conference. If yeah. that doesn't make you go, oh, yeah, then I don't know what will. I mean, yeah. that, that tells you the loan – that just tells you that the elevate the, the play the caliber of player across this unit has been elevated. What do they do in the SEC? Uh, what do you always see? The big bodies there on that defensive line, and that's exactly what we brought in. And he said, "Violent and disruptive." And I, I'm, I think that is why our defense is going to be so good that uh, we're we're really going to see an elevation here that those numbers that you just brought up are going to skyrocket up the page that we're going to be in that defense. Uh, we're going to be in that backfield, you know, uh, getting those stops and tackles uh, before they even gain a yard. Yeah. Some of these moves, of, especially from a defensive tackle standpoint to where you're bringing in a bigger body that can just move, that can move equally as well as a smaller statured guy. What that does is help accentuate the skills of some of your edge rushers, right? Like, so if your defensive tackles can all of a sudden become more impactful, then that potentially frees up guys like Cumberlander and Owen Porter to come more free to a quarterback. And I don't know if there's a scarier sight than seeing a free-running Owen Porter coming at your QB1. Uh, Call me crazy, but I don't want that dude bearing down on me with a full head of steam, right? I don't want him – putting my quarterback one into the ground and then coming up doing the quick quick draw six shooter celebration that he has because um, that's a scary dude. And when he come and when he's coming at you full force, hungry for contact, 
that, that's an intimidating thing. So making some of these moves across the defensive line, I think Ralph Street is really going to be able to do some special things with this defensive line. I absolutely love having Ralph Street uh, as a coach on this staff. You know he wants to be here. You know what it's all about. You know he's like loving the fact that he's going to potentially be that guy as from both a player standpoint and a coaching standpoint. I just expect a big thing. Last coach on the list right now is linebackers coach Shannon Morrison, also in his second season, formerly DB's coach at Eastern Kentucky in 2020, but just like Bill Legg, kind of in his third-ish stint with the herd, um, really fourth if you want to go all the way back. It was the MUGA from 90, in 1995 and in 1997, then linebackers coach in 05 and 06, and then safeties in 07, 08. So I guess it's three tenures and four different positions type thing. Um, Shannon Morrison was another one that I'm glad that they that Huff targeted to bring back to Huntington because he did good things when he was here before. And uh, we're returning some guys across the linebacking core that are immediately going to be tops in the Sunbelt Conference. They have some great linebackers here. They really do. But Abraham Boplan returns. He was the number two tackler in Conference USA last year. We all know what Eli Neal is all about. I mean, just a playmaking stud at linebacker. And then you go get some guys out of the portal. You got some guys looking to take the next step in their development. Um, thoughts on Shannon Morris? Well, he's one of those guys that's been uh, up for several jobs here over the years. Uh, obviously, you just mentioned that he's been here several times. During the times that he wasn't here, he interviewed for some jobs here. He obviously loves it here. <laughs> Uh, he has a degree from here. Um, I think he's one of those. There's nothing wrong with having martial ties. We just talked about Ralph Street right before this. Uh, so he's one of those guys that we're going to have uh, a good um, player group for him uh, to coach. Uh, he has a lot of success there. He's a martial guy, likes it here. Uh, proof is on the field kind of uh, return on investment, I guess you would say, on performance. So if they do a good job, you know, he's going to get a lot of shine. If they don't perform well, he's not. I, I don't really have a whole lot to say about him other than he's been up for it a lot. And there's been fans in the past that say, Ah, uh, we've had him here before. I don't really, you know, when we're talking about for like defensive coordinator position or something. Uh, so he's kind of, I don't know, like just kind of there in the fan base's eyes of he doesn't get a lot of fanfare. He doesn't get any hate. He's been here several times. People know what he brings. I feel like he's very consistent. And uh, I, I wish all the success to him because – He's a son of Marshall, yeah. you know, with his stops here as a coach, with his degree from here. Um, I like the guy. I think that he could potentially have um, a very, very, very complimentary season based on the moves that were made along the defensive line that we just talked about. You yeah, know, absolutely. Because you get you you got guys already that perform at a high level based on what we looked like last year you know, across the defensive line. And if you have guys that can fill a hole easier or open a gap so that Bo Plan can shoot through or Eli Neal can shoot through or, 
you know, uh, you know, these, these guys run sideline to sideline anyway. So any, any added benefit that they can get from a defensive line, uh, freeing them up or, or making their job easier, that just makes Morrison look that much better. Right. And yeah. you know, he's chomping at the bit to be able to like take the field with this group and just, I mean, you know, these guys are around them every day. They see what they have on the, on the field every day in practice. And the anticipation of being able to trot that out in week one and go, here we go. We're going to cut it loose right now um, has to be almost unbearable because you've got a feeling like you want to show this to the world. And uh, Morrison, you said he's just been consistent. And if you're a great coach, that's what you are. You're consistent. Yeah. I mean, and I was not trying to downplay when I said, you know, fans in the past have said, uh, you know, I don't want him here because we've already had him here. We know what we've had. Uh, it was for a, a drastically different position. It was either for rumors of him being the head coach or rumors of him being, uh, you know, the defensive coordinator. And this was a long time ago for drastically different positions yeah. that he is coaching here right now. Um, so what I'm basically trying to say is, you know, he's had a, a name here for a long time because we're talking about off and on he's been here over 27 years. Yeah. You know, from the time that he started to this year. Um, I feel like he's going to have a lot of success based on what you were saying. And I feel like a lot of those increased turnovers are going to come from his linebacker core because of even if they're not the ones creating the hit that causes it, they might be the ones in the backfield to pick up the scoop. Oh yeah. Uh, Oh yeah. You know, they, they might, you know, because of the pressure and tip balls might get more interceptions. Uh, So I feel like a lot of the, the dynamic will come from his position group. Yeah. Look from top to bottom, specifically on the defensive side, I think there are less question marks on the defensive side of the ball than there are on the offensive side of the ball as far as, as coaches and stuff go. But uh, I think it's more of an, of, of the defensive guys not being a, or not wanting to wait to trot the guys out in week one and show you the product that they've been working on. I mean, that's just the the feeling that I get. I, I'm a, I, I know that if I had something special, that I'd be like antsy to get them out there in front of everybody and go, look at what we did. Look at what we got yeah. for you. You know what I mean? Uh, last guy I want to talk about is director of sports performance, Ben Ashford, also been here for a couple of years, uh, came over, still part of uh, Huff's inaugural staff, was a uh, head strength and conditioning coach at Samford, but uh, Huff and, and uh, Ben worked together at Alabama. Uh, I just absolutely love what the dude's all about. You know, strength and conditioning coach, uh, director of sports performance, whatever the title may be, such an underrated position because he's not, you know, working with a position group per se. He's working with the whole damn team, you know, and he's charged with getting the herd ready for the season. And for a large part of the summer, um, a big chunk of the summer, those the strength and conditioning staff is going to be the guys that have the daily interaction. It's kind of hands off for a good bit, good chunk of the summer with your position coaches, the rest of your coaches and your team. It's just the weightlifting and, and the conditioning and all that kind of stuff. And that's so integral. I mean, we, we can all point back to uh, 2014, 2013 
And the reason we can do that is because we had an absolute superstar strength and conditioning coach. And so many of the players, not players, so many of the fans know the guy by name. And how often does that happen? How often when you are almost a decade removed from having a certain strength coach that you still remember who that guy was because he was so damn good. And we've had several since, you know, Scott Sinclair left and went to Georgia. Um, but I don't know many of them off the top of my head. You know, I know like Luke Day did a great job. That's why he's at South Carolina. We had um, a coach, the name escapes him, but he's here for a year. How can you, how can you develop a um, sense of who that guy is when you're there for a year, right? Um, yeah. So Ben Ashford, I really like, I love the energy. I love the attitude. I love the approach. Um, I love that the guys really seem to want to work for that guy which is uber important. I mean, if you've got guys dreading going to the weight room because they don't want to interact with the director of sports performance, you've got a problem, right? These guys want to go work for him. He, he, he's creating a culture of competitiveness with these guys that's healthy, um, a, a culture of, of support where everybody wants everybody to get better. Um, if you remember several years ago, it was all about breaking weight room records. And it did not translate to success on the field. That was not Ben Ashford's game plan, right? He is very much a, um, um, a useful, practical use. Um, God, I'm, I'm, I'm losing how I want to say this. The program that he's putting in place should translate into success on the field. Who cares if you can break the bench press record if you can't get there to make the tackle, right? That doesn't matter. So um, the approach that Ashford has is great. Uh, it's very much about on-the-field performance and getting these guys to peak at the right time. And, man, if you know anything about the science of the human body, that's not an easy thing to do, especially when you talk about trying to do it for about 100 different humans. So um, – do not sleep on the importance of Ben Ashford being a part of this staff and continuing to be a part of this staff. He's just an absolute stud, and I'm really glad he's here. What's your thoughts on Ben Ashford? I've got one about B.A. He's on the jazz, man. He's on the jazz, man. <laughs> that's a great way to put that. Um, so that was your that was the, that's the coaching staff in a nutshell. There are so many more people uh, on the support staff, guys like Doug Chapman, Mike Bartram, um, Sherrod Everett, you know, these guys are superstars behind the scenes and we love those guys. And, uh, I would love to be able to talk in detail, but man, we went a long time just talking about the uh, position coaches and the head coach. So as much as we would like to include everybody, you know, all their information is there available on herdzone.com. If you are so inclined to see who all makes up this support staff, believe me, it is a lot of people. Um, so you can tell this is a kind of a new age approach of how we're operating, uh, this program. But, Russ, uh, let's transition to the last phase here. Let's, uh, let's take it around the herd. Well, let's start off with soccer. Uh, this is men's and women's. The um, schedule was released for both. We'll go over that in just one second for each uh, school, not school, team. And also want to mention, because it affects both, UCF, has officially signed as a Sunbelt affiliate and that will start in 2023. Yeah. So weird. tell me about UCF and I'll get the schedules up. Well, UCF has been, you know, kind of the cream of the crop in the AAC as far as soccer goes over the past, 
I don't know, let's say five years or so. Uh, I think they've won the conference three or four times in those five years. I mean, if you don't think that UCF as an athletic department and as a as programs aren't on a fast rising trajectory, then I'm just not sure you want to believe that another school in Florida can eventually be on par with quote unquote the big three. Uh, but you know, Orlando is blowing up and there's a lot of money that's stacked in there at UCF and they can build competitive teams, you know, no matter where they are. So um, them joining the Sun Belt in soccer just makes us as a league um, solidifies us even more as probably the second best conference in the country. As we already had a stranglehold on that anyway, but adding it's not like a filler team that just kind of is like, yeah, well, we want to be in. Now, this is a team that's going to come in and also be able to contend. Like it's mm-hmm. another, it's another, you know, um, piece of the gauntlet that you have to get through. So wh- whoever comes out of the Sun Belt as a conference champion is going to be like a heavy favorite to compete for a national title annually. And so this is a huge, great, a uh, huge get. And I don't know if there will be more teams to follow, but man, UCF has got to be the one that you look at and go, that's the one to get out of the, uh, out of the American. So good for we them. We basically called this earlier, um, you know, as did other people. It's not like we were the only ones, but it just made sense uh, for them, for us, for the Sun Belt, everybody. But um, getting them not only solidifies the Sun Belt's position, like you said, it makes it harder for a third league you know whoever's number three right now in the conferences in soccer they lost the chance of picking up a powerhouse like a UCF to help them be closer to our par so we just put some serious distance yeah between number two and number three yeah Uh, I would I would say so now look I'm not I don't have my finger firmly on the pulse of collegiate soccer but you know if UCF ends up in like the MAC as opposed to the Sun Belt then that brings those two conferences a little closer. But now it's like, like you said, it's an extra bit of distance between two and three. So now it's kind of like one, two, and three, you know? So, yeah, I mean, you're looking at how long is it before two is one B, you know, we're, right. we're closer, we're closer to the ACC than the third conference, whoever that conference might be. It's, Seems to me right now it's the ACC, the Sun Belt, and then some other people also sponsor soccer. Correct. Yes, I would. I would even tend to say that maybe not as soon as next year, but maybe even next year, mm-hmm. uh, that it would be that the Sun Belt soccer men's soccer league would be closer to the ACC than the number three team would be to the Sun Belt. That's yeah. how much of a distance and gap I think there is, or really potentially could be two or three years from now between two and three. So this is a yeah. major, major big news story that I don't know it's, it's gotten a little bit of traction, but you know, in fairness, not a whole, whole lot of people paying much attention to college soccer and college soccer news. But for those of us who are fortunate enough to have powerhouse programs on a national level, being able to add something like this, you're going to take notice of and be, and get excited about. So this is, this is pretty cool, but let's run down well, these schedules also. Yeah. And the one, one more thing about, uh, UCF. They are in the Orlando area there, and it is an extremely cheap and easy trip uh, from Huntington Tri-State direct flight down to Sanford, uh, that sort of thing. So yeah. uh, that that will help for fans 
uh, going both ways maybe for for soccer games. That's true. I mean, you, you can get a direct flight to Tampa. You can get a direct flight to uh, Orlando, and I think you can get a direct flight to Myrtle Beach. Now, who knows if they'll add a few other destinations, uh, you know, to, to other Sunbelt friendly locales. Um, but it's, I got to be honest with you, it's pretty handy to be able to, you know, drive 45 minutes to the airport and then hop on a plane and be in Huntington in an hour and a half. That's pretty awesome. It is. Uh, but um, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, UCF is doing nothing but getting stronger and bigger and more monstrous. I mean, their athletic budget is crazy big. You know, mm-hmm. the sky's the limit for those guys and gals down there in Orlando. So, um, you know, they've got the they've got the power of Disney there also. Um, they're, they're a force to be reckoned with. So, this is a great add to the league. All right. I'll start with the men's soccer schedule. The first three are exhibition matches. We've got on 8-12 at Rio Grande. Uh, 814 home against Radford, 819 at Maryland. Again, all three of those exhibition. Actual regular season starts August 25th. Uh, home at VC, home against VCU, 829 at Butler, 92 home Pittsburgh, 97 at Cleveland State, 911 home Pacific, 916 at Kentucky. 924 home West Virginia, 930 at Coastal Carolina, 104 home Robert Morris, 108 home South Carolina. I'm sorry, at South Carolina, 1015 home Old Dominion, 1019 at Georgia State, 1023 home Georgia Southern, 1026 at Wright State, 111 home James Madison. So that is the men's soccer. Yeah, it's a pretty good slate. I guess if if you're going to put a you know a knee jerk circle around one of them, you're going to circle September 24th against uh, at home against West Virginia University. It's a Mountain State Derby, right? So this sure. is a, that's going to be a premier event uh, for the on the soccer schedule. But look, you get you get Old Dominion at home, you get uh, uh, James Madison at home, and uh, Georgia Southern at home. So you get some. Some some decent Sunbelt flavor coming to uh, Hoops Family Field. Um, but I don't know. It's pretty nice. It looks like a pretty competitive uh, ex- um, schedule to get excited about. So, yeah, let's. what do we, what do we got for the, uh, the women's side of things? The women, the first two are exhibition. We've got 8-9 home Eastern Kentucky, 8-14 at Bellarmine. Uh, 8-18, we're home – for the season opener uh, against High Point, 821 home Akron, 825 home Moorhead, 828 home Ohio. So we open with four straight here at home. Then 9-1, we're at Liberty. 9-4, we're at Radford. 9-11, we're at Miami, Ohio. 9-17, home Southern Miss. 9-22 at Arkansas State. 925 home App State, 101 at Louisiana Monroe, 106 home Georgia Southern, 109 at Georgia State, 1014 home James Madison, 1020 at Coastal Carolina, 1023 home Texas State, 1027 for the final at Old Dominion. So what I'm seeing here is 
the first game between the two at home is going to be August 9th. So if you're itching for, you know, herd athletics action, then August 9th, which is like what, like, let me see. Six weeks. 48 days. They have a, t- a ticker up here on Herd Zone. Le- a little over 48 days, 48 days and one hour as we're recording. So under 50 days until you'll be able to see live soccer action at Hoops Family Field. Um, pretty good slate. Now, let's not forget that when you buy season tickets or, yeah, season tickets for soccer, you get a ticket to both men's and women's games, right? Mm-hmm. So um, the deposits are being taken. You know, you they go on sale July 1st, and uh, I don't know, but based on that men's schedule alone with some of those marquee home games, it's probably going to be a pretty tough ticket to get. So if you're thinking, eh, maybe I'll wait and see what's left and blah, blah, there's not a whole, whole lot of seats in that uh, at Hoops Family Field right now. There's there's a cause for some expansion potentially, but right, right now, there's not a whole, whole lot of seats. So if you're on the fence about it, I would go to Herd Zone and put down a season ticket deposit so that you can – Make sure that you're able to get a hold of a couple at least, but um, there may be some single games available if, if, <laughs> if, but I just play it safe. Just put a deposit down. Uh, ticket prices, season ticket prices are really affordable if you haven't looked at them. And to be able to get season tickets to each game, like men and women's, both sports, I mean, that, that's a hell of a value. So um, I don't know. Pull the trigger, maybe. Yeah. Let's uh, bounce it over to women's basketball. And Sydney McCaskill has been named as an assistant coach. So let's talk about somebody who's a, who was a jack of all trades at the last stop. I don't know if you read the bio or any of uh, her um, responsibilities at a previous stop. Uh, she's coming from Florida Gulf Coast University, which is not that far from me. It's like two and a half hours south of me in Fort mm-hmm. Myers, Florida. Uh, Last season alone, okay, she served as the video coordinator, the director of basketball operations, and an interim assistant coach all in the last season. So, um, carried quite the workload for uh, down there at Florida Gulf Coast. So, Tony Kemper and his staff have made – I mean, we it seems like every episode we're talking about the things that he's done with this program. It's a total overhaul. Complete overhaul. And yeah. – uh, bringing in Sydney McCaskill, you got to think somebody that has done a lot of uh, had a different a lot of different responsibilities at a previous stop. Um, went to high school at I looked in the bio at uh, Dr. Phillips High School in Orlando, which is a powerhouse um, high school in the or- Greater Orlando area. So played uh, played some ball at Georgia and then transferred down to Florida Gulf Coast where he finished out the career. Look. Well-schooled, well-versed, and has already got some coaching experience. I think this is a pretty good move. I'm excited to see how that translates down into Florida recruiting. You know, it it seems like we don't really dip that far for women's basketball. It seems to be as far as traditional recruiting. It's a lot more local. Um, But, you know, I'm sure there's some some outliers there here and there. But it sure would be nice to be able to dip into the Orlando area and, uh, you know, Central Florida area to get some uh, recruiting seeds planted. Yeah. Uh, Kemper specifically quoted about her energy and, you know, holding three positions like that, you better have good energy. (laughs) Better. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, great uh, addition. We welcome her to the, uh, to the team and uh, look forward to what she brings. Yeah. Wait, I got to do the right thing when I said, so welcome to the herd coach, Sydney McCaskill. 
that's like my trademark thing. Sometimes I forget that, but well, hopefully she's listening. I'm sure she is. <laughs> why? Why wouldn't you be? I mean, who doesn't? Why not? If you're not why listening not? to the Thundercast, then really, what are you doing right now? Yeah, we're asking you people right now that aren't listening. <laughs> why aren't you? Uh, joking aside, let's uh, move it over to softball. Picked up another transfer. Um, this time, a Louisville outfielder slash utility player, Sydney Bickle, sophomore uh, on their roster. So uh, this is Sid, the other kid, because we've yeah. got <laughs> so uh, yeah, the outfielder, utility player. I noticed that she's played a lot of ball. Uh, I, I went back and did the math: seventy games she played yeah. in at Louisville over the course of two seasons. A lot of those, thirty-four of those games, right around, right at half, uh, were played at either third base or shortstop, which made it odd to me that she was listed as an outfielder slash utility player when half your career was spent you know, at either third or shortstop, but. Hey, Could have man. been because of need or anything, you know. Yeah, injuries. you never know. You never know. Yeah. Um, but Arizona, from Peoria, Arizona, so all the way across the country to play at Louisville and now find yourself three hours down the road in Huntington, West Virginia, still all the way across the country from, you know, home and everything. So uh, I think Miss Bigger will find a nice home here in Huntington. Uh, one that really loves its softball program, um, a, a real um, family atmosphere, like literally. I mean, you know, you got the, mm-hmm. the, the husband and wife team and an incredibly coached or incredibly close team. But it just speaks to the fact that uh, head coach Megan Smith, Lyon and Corey Lyon, they're, they're not they're not slowing down. You know, they that's right. Got Which to keep- we said you can't. You got to keep fixing and tweaking. And, you know, uh, we saw the other day, I'm going to include this, even though this is semi-herd related, Maya Stevenson committed to Ole Miss. So she's going to play her final season down for Ole Miss. And uh, one last note that I noticed that Allie Harrell and uh, Morgan Zirkle ended up on the same pro team. Uh, I'm not sure where it's out of, but um, that was pretty cool. So Mm -hmm. a couple of herd all-timers ended up on the same pro squad right now. Um, Yeah. Pretty neat. Uh, one last note about the softball team. I'm sure you got some things to say about uh, Sydney Bickle or whatever, but uh, softball team is out recruiting right now. Um, you know, you may or may not hear this. I'm going to try to post it today. We're recording Wednesday, and I'm going to try to get it out there. But for June 22nd through the 24th, you know, the the staff is out in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and down in that area recruiting. So if you see some Kelly Green, say hey, especially if you're a softball player. They're out there looking for talent. Absolutely. The only thing that I have to say um, about uh, Sydney Bickle coming in is you can just tell that we are bringing in. We we lost uh, several herd all timers. Yep. Um, and what better way than to bring in some people with experience? The same as we've been talking about with basketball, with football. Uh, we're just retooling the roster the best that we can bringing in some people that are ready to play right now, make an impact. And that way you can get your recruits in and build them up as well. So uh, kudos all around to uh, coach uh, Smith lion. Uh, it looks like we're just reloading. Yeah. I mean, we really have to, we've talked about how competitive the uh, conference is going to be in the Sun Belt and how it's a different animal. And, you know, Corey has firsthand knowledge of that being a head coach down in, in, uh, at the Sun Belt in the past. So 
it all depends on what type of team you want to build, right? And we know that uh, power hitting is a lot of that is gone from the lineup. Now we're going to return some big time hitters, of course, and you know some pieces are returning, and and some other gals are going to have an opportunity to elevate their game and have a play a more integral role in the uh, in the rotation and on the field. But you know, being able the transfer portal doesn't just work for football and basketball. I mean. It's, it's just as useful in softball, and we're seeing that firsthand. How many is that now? What's the count up to? Four, three or four off the top of my head? Uh, so Three, I think three. Yeah, so it's, it's just if you see a player that can fill a need, then you are able to go out and grab that player. And, um, you know, you can't, you can't gloss over the fact that looks like a lot of our coaches – are utilizing the transfer portal in a way that will benefit them instead of just saying, eh, I'm not down with all this stuff, man, that you, transfer portal portal is just a fly by night thing. It's a flash in the pan. No, it's, it's a viable tool. It's how you remain competitive. And if you're not using it, then you're losing out on some uh, instant impact potential. So glad to see that our coaches across the athletic department are using it to uh, make the herd better. Yeah. All right. We have, News from baseball, Luke Edwards just was announced as the, let me make sure I get this correct, NCAA Division I East All-Region second team. And that was uh, announced on Monday. We uh, talked about uh, um, <clears throat> Mr. Edwards and just the 60, what what did he end up at? 61, 62? Something like that, yeah. Just a few games. On base streak. Yeah. Few games shy of the entire season. Entire season, uh, put up some great stats. Very, uh, very. Uh, let's see, fifty-five games this season. Versatile well, was what I was trying to he say. Led, led Conference USA in hits. Right. Um, he's yeah. a junior. Junior from Myrtle Beach. He's. At, I mean, in my opinion, he's probably one of the two or three guys that is the core nucleus of this team that'll be returning that we can really build around. I mean, yeah. you got that type of versatility. Played a lot of third base. Played a little bit in the outfield. Outfield. If you got that type of versatility and somebody that just gets on freaking base. You can make things happen. So, I'm glad he's just a junior. We're going to get him back for another year. Try to uh, break into the Sun Belt, which is a daunting task. Uh, but you know, Luke has shown that he can he can produce at a high level across the duration of entire seasons. So yeah, uh, well-earned accolade. So congratulations, uh, Mr. Edwards, on being named uh, NCAA Division One East All-Region second team. Yeah, some more stats to finish this out. His 364 batting average finished the regular season, tied for third in the league. Uh, he led the herd with 53 RBI and was tied for first on the team with 13 homers. He led Marshall with 26 multi-hit games and 13 multi-RBI games. So just flat out getting it done. Uh, like you said, great to have him back. Yeah. All right. Let's see. Football news. We uh, have a slew of commitments that have come in because uh, Marshall has hosted several recruit camps. Uh, well, several recruits at camp. Right. Uh, one specific camp. And uh, out of that, uh, in one day, uh, Huff announced three new commitments and uh, probably going to have a lot more to come. 
Yeah, I would imagine so. Uh, two of the two of the three are in the 2023 class. So now we're starting to see the beginnings of the building of the 2023 class. Now it's three men strong. Um, and then the third member of this trio of commitments this past Father's Day weekend was a, um, a transfer who will be able to play immediately. And it adds to, you know, positions, a position group that we were talking about already trying to be dominant. So let's start there. Let's start with the Bowie State transfer defensive lineman, Jonathan Murray, six foot three, 240 pound red shirt freshman, according to the Bowie State roster. Um, it's a from, big red shirt freshman. Yeah, from Huntingtown, yeah. Maryland. Um, here's the kicker. All right. Uh, nine sacks in 13 games. Um, what are the words that we that we keep hearing? They want they're describing this defensive line as disruptive, violent, violent. And, and and that says, hey, I can get to the quarterback. Nine sacks yeah. in 13 games. Okay, mm-hmm. he's not going to be tasked with being the only weapon on the defensive line, but at six foot three, 240 pounds you're going to be surrounded by guys that are equally as talented and will be able to will allow you to accentuate your skills. So this is an excellent potential instant impact player on a defensive line unit that we expect to be vaunted in the Sun Belt. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's the one thing. I read the bio on the Bowie State website, and they had you know the stats and all that kind of stuff. And this, one of the last things it said was, uh, describe yourself in one word. And he said, awesome <laughs> same <laughs> yeah he's uh he's a favorite of mine already <laughs> same i'm awesome too i hear you man i felt that um then a couple of uh 2023 prospects both on the, from the defensive backs one uh, listed as a db or a corner one listed as a safety 2023 three-star safety dante joiner five foot 11 165 pounder from right down the road for me in lakeland florida Polk County, boy, they do it right. I mean, there's a slew of uh, high-level recruits that come out of Polk County each and every year. Um, Mr. Joyner chose Marshall over offers from Coastal Carolina, James Madison, Arkansas State out of the Sun Belt, USF, and a couple of others. And then uh, 2023 three-star corner, Caleb Clark Glover, 5'11", 170-pounder from Cincinnati, Ohio. Another area that's coming on – I don't want to say coming on strong, but it seems like there are more and more high-level prospects coming out of that Cincinnati metro area. You know, Mm -hmm. maybe they just all got funneled to Michigan, or not Michigan, but the Ohio State and those places in the past, the Big Ten, but we're seeing a lot more of them trickle out into areas like Marshall now, which is great. I mean, Brendan Knox comes from Cincinnati, so we know that that, what he meant to the program. So getting Caleb Clark Glover uh, could be – you know, the, the, the next start in some, in some local ish area pipeline, we'd like to get a Cincinnati pipeline going. That's a hop and a skip. It's really easy for family and people to travel down and watch games, chose the herd over old dominion and uh, Cryami, Miami, Ohio air force and army among others. So welcome to the herd, uh, Jonathan Murray, Dante Joyner and Caleb Clark Glover. And of course we mentioned three guys out of the 2023 class, the other the third member, which was the first commit, was, you know, Tony Martin. So, uh, 2023 class is off and running. Looking pretty good. It does. That wraps up our traditional around the herd. But the reason this show is so massive this week is 
we start off with five things. Well, we had about 900 things we could have listed that had to do with facilities. So we're going to go around the herd again. And this time we're going to focus only on the facilities news because there's a lot of it. There is. And there's a lot of people that are probably just now went, what? What are we talking about here? And yeah, we're going to talk about a little bit of everything. So all of you that have been thirsting for some, uh, some facilities news, here comes a ton of it. So lock in. All right. So I'm going to start off with something that is purely speculation and rumor. Nothing has been uh, stamped, stopped. You know, this is for sure. But there is a lot of smoke to this fire. And when I thought that it was, you know, a couple of months ago when I first heard it, I would put it as like, oh, that's a pipe dream, maybe 20% chance of happening. Turns out that it's already over 80% chance of happening. Wheels are pretty good in motion. And we talked about the baseball stadium moving from the BASF parking lot property over to behind the dot. And that leaves that massively empty, under, underutilized area over there. What can you put there? Well, turns out it's not ideal for us, but it is for Kroger. The Kroger, a couple of blocks down, uh, even though they remodeled a few years back, massive overhaul of their store, they have a chance to build a much bigger footprint store. They're slightly closer to campus. And then we would inherit that Kroger, uh, current Kroger parking lot. And we can have that for parking for the soccer uh, teams. Tailgating and all that going on right there, much needed uh, parking in that area. When I go to the soccer games, I was parking there anyway, but, you know, it's kind of like Kroger controls it. This would allow Marshall and or Huntington to control it. So this is a massive project, right? And I don't know that, that it, initially, if you hear that, I'm, I'm not sure that enough people are going, wow, that's freaking great. But when you think about it on a number of levels, not just, you know, now you have a huge parking lot for your soccer stadium and you can begin to tailgate and host things and do it a little bit bigger. And, you know, you're, you're, if it needs to expand as far as seating goes, you've got parking there, all that good stuff. But let's talk about moving Kroger about four or five blocks closer to campus. Now that means more kids can just freaking walk to the store. So to be able to do that for your university population is a is huge, right? So this is a this is a really really cool turn of events, right? This was going to be a baseball stadium, and now it doesn't work out, and now turns out there's going to be a Kroger built there, and they're going to give up the twenty what is that twenty fifth street, twenty sixth street? It's twenty sixth street, and they're basically they're only moving corner to corner two blocks. It's an additional uh, block each way. Uh, for their footprint so uh, they're moving in between two to four blocks really yeah. is what you're looking at but what i'm saying is you're moving that area out of there and now you're going to mm -hmm. have all this area <clears throat> for for hoops family field essentially yeah. so moving forward that's a great way to expand on a skyrocketing program while mm -hmm. at the same time servicing the needs of the community while at the same time utilizing a marquee piece of real estate so that you just don't have a bare lot there in the middle of all this newness that's going up. I think this is a very 
uh, very, very underrated bit of news. And I know that we're talking about it for the first time. We've talked about it, you know, just in just a few days ago. Um, so the probably a lot of people are hearing this for the first time, but I think this is huge, man. This is a big, big deal. I think it also gives you the potential and nothing that I've heard, but the potential to put something in an already existing building there with Kroger, which has a massive footprint. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, perhaps with it already having refrigeration and stuff like that, they could put, say, a culinary arts uh, uh, facility in there, you know, or something. I mean, that and more, you know, that's a huge uh, area that could be remodeled without having to build from the ground, you know, right. footers and walls and and all this stuff, you've already got plumbing in there. You've already got all kinds of stuff, all the electric, all the cameras, everything. So uh, this could be, and again, that might be sold by Kroger. We don't know, but I mean, it, it it's potential that was not there without this deal going through. Yeah, I just, I think, you know, a few years from now when this all gets done and, and some other decisions get made and, and we learn which route this ultimately goes, I think the impact, the, the community impact on this thing could just be massive, could be absolutely massive. And moving Kroger a little closer, you know, maybe that opens them up and a little bit more to uh, being a little bit more, not that they're not Marshall friendly, they're, they're extremely Marshall friendly, but, you know, maybe there's a little bit more opportunity for some advertisement there, or, or then maybe they want to put a bigger chunk uh, towards some of these projects that were that are out there floating around. Yeah. Maybe we can sway Kroger to build it Kelly green and white instead of blue and white. Well, like you, you know, got to do something to get, look, Barbersville has Gucci Kroger. We need to have herd Kroger or something there in Huntington. You know, they have over the years, that location, they've kind of, it's been called college Kroger or whatever, but uh, they have in the past put up a lot of Marshall stuff, but you know, moving them closer to campus, you know, they're wanting to target, as you said, those people that can walk, uh, you know, uh, three blocks down the road or whatever on the same side of the Fifth Avenue without having to cross and then cross back with groceries. Uh, so perhaps, you know, they will get a little more involved with that. They're already a sponsor of ours, but you never know. They may start marketing uh, more toward the uh, yeah. college. I think it's great. I mean, if that were there, when I was at Marshall, I would have went to Kroger a hell of a lot more. Like I just yeah. wasn't, it was an out of the way trip. It was an ordeal to get to Kroger for me. You know, and we're but, only talking a couple of blocks, but we're, when you're walking and then having to cross, you're walking an additional two to four blocks down, two to four blocks back, you know, that's uh, anywhere from half a mile to three quarters of a mile extra that yeah. you're walking and you have to cross Fifth Avenue twice. And I'm lugging groceries on the way back. Yeah. <laughs> this is a good move. It's, I, I feel the potential here for like uh, a lot of um, like deli sandwiches getting sold, like lunches. You know what I mean? Like roll into Kroger Deli, get lunch type thing. So uh, I know down, for, down ahead, here. Sorry. No, it's OK. Down here, you know, the big grocery store chain in Florida is Publix. Everybody knows Publix and they're all yeah. like in, enamored with Publix and you roll into Publix and you can get a quality sub and some dinners and things like that. So if they do this right, they can really capture a big chunk of the Marshall students that want a quick, good meal and, you know, just jet across uh, the football stadium lot essentially and grab and grab a meal. That'd be killer. 
being being that closer to tailgating as well oh yeah uh, provides them a another uh outlet i guess you could say to try to market to people you know hey swing in here for your tailgating needs you know pick up all your uh, supplies from here so yeah uh, good move all around uh we don't have any kind of time frame or whatever but this is again you know don't don't start expecting to see like this going up anytime soon they're not going to move until the new facility is built right so it's going to take a couple of years to get everything ball rolling uh maybe two years from now they have the facility built ready to open then they have to move all their stuff from one location to another to stock it and then only then would you have access to their old facility parking lot down there so yeah yeah. this is a three year down the road kind of deal i would imagine so yeah sure All right. uh, More, more, more news. I want to start with baseball uh, from here and say that uh, there are going to be new lights for Route 2. And what some people may immediately knee-jerk reaction go, here we go. They're not going to do anything except for dress up the Route 2 field. Well, I put it to you this way. Why would you not go ahead when we've already had issues where we cannot have night games, go ahead and get the lights there. Guess what? Those lights can be moved. You know, um, we should not sit around and say, we're not going to help out the baseball team and program until this other one is a hundred percent done the stadium. Uh, So new lights up there, great move. Obviously I think they could be moved. Maybe they won't, maybe that'll just stay there. I don't know, but I think that's a great move that by baseball season, we're going to have lights. Well, they have to do it, right? They got a little, they got drugged through the mud on social media and things like that for having to cancel games for darkness. Sure. And I mean, whether you think it's right or not, it happened and they had to do it. So they had to do something to make sure that didn't happen again. You know, yeah. you're, you're entering into this baseball power conference and you have to be able to play your games. Like you can't, you can't have things canceled for darkness. You just put some freaking lights up. I mean, and for those folks that say, well, great, here we go. They they promised us a stadium and they're just going to put freaking lights up and they're going to kick the can down the road for another 20 years. I don't think that's what it is at all. I mean, like if your car is out of gas, are you just going to quit driving altogether? No, you're going to put some freaking gas in your car so you can drive again. And that's kind of what we're like here. They have to solve a problem while at the same time working on the bigger project okay absolutely i said this in a tweet we were going back and forth with some folks on on social media and i get it man i really do i get it you felt like you've been burned a many many times over the years for promises of a baseball stadium and you haven't gotten i freaking get it i understand um and i was going in a back and forth with some with some fans we were having a discussion and i said you know with all the excitement that we have around the sunbelt and the sunbelt has for marshall coming in do you think at any level, at any level, Marshall wants to be the team with the shittiest facility going into the into a, a new conference? Absolutely not. They no. do not. They are not content with having the worst field. I mean, I don't know if they do, but you know, they're going to perceive that and go, "Well, you don't even have a stadium, right?" Like Route Two Field might be nicer than somebody else's field. I don't know, but I'm just saying. You think they're content to be viewed upon as having one of the lowest tier stadiums or playing facilities in the conference of? A baseball conference of this magnitude? Hell no. 
and definitely they, not Spears in this administration. Absolutely they, not. They have already shown that this is a major priority, uh, you know, to get done along with a slew of everything. I mean, we're talking about you'll you'll hear there's a whole lot more updating everything. So why don't you do the temporary fix while you work on the long term fix? You do both. You can do both. There's a way to do it. And, you know, I will talk about some Sunbelt requirements uh, here coming up next, but I imagine that there has to be a requirement by the Sunbelt that says, hey, we're not going to be canceling games in the Sunbelt, yeah. you know, or calling yeah. it because of darkness. Get some lights up, you know. Yeah. 22, so 2022. Tempor temporary fix. I mean, because let's say it takes two, three years to build the baseball stadium. Uh, from start to finish, if we started right now, maybe it gets done in two years. I don't think that we should sit here and say, well, you'll just have to suffer for two years without lights. Yeah. You know, just put lights up. And they're, and that's what they're doing. I think that's it right. makes sense. You guys just, I understand there that passions run high for a lot of people on, on this topic. I get it, man. I really do. I want to see a baseball stadium built too. I'd like to be able to go check out a game you know, downtown, close to campus, and have all the benefits that come with watching a baseball game outdoors on a nice in a nice place. I mean, going to, even just going to Power Park is cool, right? It's a nice it little is. venue to watch a game. You know, it's it's a totally different experience than going to Great American Ballpark, but it's still a cool experience. And we can have that in Huntington. It's just going to take some time. And no matter how badly we want it built, uh, you know, I want it built today. You want it built today. It's mm -hmm. not going to be built today. There are things that have be. there are things that have to run their their course. So as bad as people don't want to hear it, you're going to have to be patient. You're going to have to be patient. So here's more news about the baseball stadium, which kind of led to a lot of this. Was there was a special session by the board of governors to kind of earmark, hey, this is what we're putting in with the state. We're going to file that this is the amount, and it's thirty million dollars for the stadium. Um, a lot of people have commented and said, 30 million, do you really need that? Do you, well, one, yes. If you're going to do it, let's do it. You know, two, some people were talking about that number. I've got a little bit of info for you. Go ahead and comment on that first. And then I'm going to weigh in on the $30 million. Well, my knee jerk reaction is if you're going to ask for $30 million, whether you need it or not, if they're going to give you the damn money, take it. Sure. You know? And then build the nicest facility that you can build. Like yeah. if you have, I'm mean, sure there are several, um, several drafts of proposals and things that we can, all right, if we get $10 million, we can build this. If we get 15, we can do this. You know, like if we get the pipe dream of $30 million, we can do this. So I'm sure they're prepared for any scenario, but what's the rule for negotiation? You, you can't go up. <laughs> so you start high. And if they're like, well, we're not giving you 30 million, then, okay you you know but you can't say well we want 10 well we'll just give you 30 well that ain't gonna happen that's not gonna happen right. so I, I say go all in too if you're gonna go all in go all in and if the and if the state's gonna award you those funds use those funds and use every last dime to build the best stadium that you can build that's my take on it all right so here's my little trivia for you kd do you know the construction cost for Jones C. Edwards Stadium, which was not named that at the time, of course, back in 1990. No, I, I've heard it before, 
And I'm going to take a stab and you can tell me I'm way off, which I probably will be, but I'm going to say 20 million bucks. Well, the reason I bring it up specifically is it was exactly $30 million. Okay. So look at what we had then. I'm not talking about the expansion that we've done since um, and not just the, the bleachers, the upper end zone. They have done some expansion to the suites, the Shuey building, all this different stuff. If you took that $30 million and put it in, this was $2021, it's a 59.7. So basically, you look at everything that inflated here in 2022, more than double what it cost back then. And that, that field as I mean, I'm not trying to drag the Joan here, but we're talking about like, that wasn't anything major, spectacular. I mean, it's great for what we got and I still love it today. But, you know, if you're talking about a state of the art, it wasn't really that, you know, mm -hmm. and we're talking about all the stuff that it needs right now. Well, it had originally $30 million. It's going to take a lot to build this stadium over here. We've got $8 million coming from um, the city of Huntington, as was announced. You've got uh, the drainage and everything is so key in baseball. You know, you're going to have to have a, a scoreboard, a video board, uh, because, again, we'll get into it, but it's a Sunbelt requirement. You're also going to have to... Uh, have some sort, in my opinion, in between the dot and whatever that we're going to affectionately call the baseball, we're going to have to have that indoor kind of training facility. So I think that's where we're getting this. Originally, you know, it went out for bid and it came back and it came in high or whatever, around 22 to 25 million or whatever, and now it's up. Well, a lot of costs have gone up. Labor has gone up. The, the cost of diesel has gone up, which has made everyone's labor go up and uh, transport, uh, shipping, all that. So it goes up a lot, but I think that, again, we're swinging for the fences here, and we're saying we're not just going to settle and put in a field and put up some temporary bleachers. We're giving you a stadium to where right. they have, a, you know, go down in through the dugout into the clubhouse. You know, uh, they have a, a training facility there, you know, I, I just feel really good about this. Um, I know there's going to be a lot of people say, well, this was announced so many decades ago. Uh, they've had so many different things. Yes, but new administration, wheels are turning. A lot of people in charge have put some serious uh, uh, power behind this. Uh, I know Christian Spears does not want to come here and, and announce, hey, this is my number one priority now and then not do it. Yeah. What does that do for him? That does yeah. nothing for him. You know, and I'm not suggesting it's just selfish on his part, but none of us would want to go to a new job, state what we're going to do and then just not do it. Yeah. And you know, he has shown already with the different things a lot still to talk about in this episode that he is pushing for we need this, we need this, we need this, we need this. It's going to get done and I think that we're going to have news imminently. When you talk about that number, you know, the most folks immediately are going to go, well, it's a field and some stands and maybe a concession stand or two or a scoreboard. They don't think about prepping the site and the drainage. And we, I mean, do we even need to talk about drainage issues in the city of Huntington? Do we yeah. need to do that? 
And then yeah. you talk about putting on a, a multi, putting up a multi-million dollar facility in the very teeth of that. Of course, there's got to be some real legitimate money sunk into drainage, right? It has to. Mm-hmm. But it's not just a field, and it's not just a stadium. It's also, like you said, a, 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 a training facility for that'll benefit the softball cro- program. We're going to talk. We're probably talking about administrative offices, so that yeah. uh, that Jeff and uh, um, Megan can have a place of their own. You know, yeah. so that they can they can run their operation out of their own little part of the world over there. Video room. You know, uh, have both analytics. of those guys, both yes. Corey and Megan, drove that point home. We'd really yeah. like a place to do video. Yeah. So you're you're talking about a multi-building facility, like complex. That's what it is. It's mm-hmm. a complex. It's not just a stadium. Yeah. And then you've got to do parking, and you've got to do, you know, you, you've got to have something in there for the experience. Remember, Corey talked about having like a party deck at the at the yeah. at the dot. Well, you're probably going to have to have something in those same realms at both stadiums. And maybe there's a little money earmarked for the complex for the softball stadium as well. We don't know, you know, and then they want to do things, I imagine, to be able to potentially attract a minor league team of some sort to the city so that 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 field can get utilization through the summer. Even having regional uh, uh, high school playoff games here. Yeah. You know, having – uh, all-star games here, you know, uh, travel ball circuits uh, as a, having a destination here. That's money, and maybe that's why Huntington also wanted that. I mean, that's money coming back to Huntington. Uh, you know, you're familiar with baseball travel ball, yeah. and, you know, it's a it's a big event. There's a lot of money so, involved in it. And, uh, there is. You know, Huntington's had a travel team for – they got a, number, they got a couple of them but they've had some for a number of years that, and they go all over and, you know, we traveled with my son and we didn't play anywhere locally, nowhere, Mm -hmm. nowhere in the state of West Virginia. Did we play? I think the farthest, uh, the farthest or the closest we went was uh, I'm going to guess it was uh, Cincinnati. So still that's how far away we went to for our closest tournament. So to be able to bring something like that, now you, you generally need multiple fields, of course, but they could get by with, you know, host trying to get some high school games or, you know, how cool would that be to, you know, have like a, have, have like a, a Huntington high Midland series down yeah. there, you know, to where it's two local or spring Valley and Huntington High or those three teams, you know, play in a series yeah. at, at the Marshall stadium. It'd be cool. It'd be a cool little draw, something different. That'd be nice. Yeah. Um, that's about all we're going to say on baseball right now. I mean, there should be news dropping in the next couple of weeks stemming from their filing with the state over this $30 million number. Yeah. Uh, and I cannot wait for that. Uh, more news coming out of that. I'm going to combine soccer, both men's and women's and softball. Okay. And that's all about video boards. And the deal is these are Sunbelt requirements. Okay. So this has to be done. I know that they have to vote on it and everything, but I mean, it's kind of a no brainer. We just spent all this time, effort and money to get into the Sun Belt. Obviously, this is something that we're going to see come to pass and they're all needed. You know, um, going we just talked about in football a couple of weeks ago about having the stats on the scoreboard. <laughs> well, how about a big video board showing the replays? And the stats yeah. for softball, you know, you, you want to have that. I, and I think uh, this is purely procedural. 
You know, they mm-hmm. knew going into the Sun Belt what these requirements were. It's not like oh, they yeah. were blindsided with them and they're no. like, oh, you're going to have to come up with $8 million for scoreboard. They knew all this stuff. So, yeah, this, know, is in, this is in the manual, basically, that they're like, hey, here's your requirements academically. Here's your requirements athletically and blah, blah, and blah, blah. So, yeah, these are, these are strictly procedural votes. I mean, they know they have to do it. They can't really say no. So you're just going to see an upgrade on some facilities. And, you know, if, if you've listened to things recently, there's no news out there right now about these other things. But if you've listened to uh, interviews with Christian Spears, he talks about wanting to upgrade the facilities if, across the athletic department. There are places and sports that haven't seen an upgrade in decades, you know, yeah. and, and he pointed to uh, the tennis uh, in particular, he's like mm-hmm. the state of West Virginia, the weather in West Virginia plays hell on a, you know, a tennis court, outdoor tennis courts. So it's all things they have to navigate. And the trajectory that the tennis team is on kind of going up John Mercer's doing great things there. They want to give them a, an equally good playing surface to be able to remain competitive and continue to recruit at a high level. So he's not just focusing on, well, the Sun Belt says we have to have this, and our bulk of our money comes from football and basketball, so we're going to take care of those guys. He's yeah. very conscious of all herd sports. Sure. And I love I love a guy like that. I love a guy who cares about you know taking care of everybody, right? So you can't just look at this handful of sports and be like, you guys are who do it for us. We're going to sink all of our money into you. And everybody else is just like, well, you're here because we have to have other sports to be a division one school. No, he's taking care of everybody. And I love that. I love that. It's part of the reason that we are driving so hard for you guys, our listeners to give a crap about everybody. Right. Because we're all part of the herd here. That's right. Um, More news is basketball. We're going to have a new floor. The reason for that, the one that we have needs to be repainted because mainly switching out the logo, you know, so it's another thing again, that was planned known we would have to do, but upon checking into it, it is unable to be sanded down again. You know, they have a finite number of times that that can happen a thickness that it needs to have for safety and all that. Uh, So we're replacing the floor and we are going to replace it with one that was from the uh, NCAA tournament. You know, they bring in these floors that are basically built there, brand new, that sort of thing. Uh, obviously, it'll need to be painted, but they can, they assemble and unassemble those and everything. So we are purchasing that and putting that down. The news coming off there, I'm getting two different two different words kind of one is that at center court it would have the marshall m with the herd in the black bar mm-hmm. and then i've heard that it wouldn't have that it would just have the m um, majorly though all of the paint uh, in the lane and the trim around in the out of bounds area would be black um they are not to my knowledge doing black like three-point line all that it would be you know kelly green all everywhere else but the paint in the middle instead of being clear or having the color green would be black Mm, okay uh we've talked a, a lot about how kelly green just pops off of black better than it does the white mm-hmm. which is really why i don't mind a bigger usage of black in you know our uniforms and our court designs and all that kind of stuff because i love the green 
that's that's my favorite part. When I think of Marshall, I don't think white and black. I think green, right? So whatever right. pops the green is what I want to see. Yeah. And uh, you know, a, a, a predominantly black painted court with a lot of Kelly green on it is just going to be breathtaking. I mean, it's going to be a breathtaking thing. So when you walk in and you see that high energy looking paint scheme on a court, whether it's for a men's or women's basketball game or a volleyball game, um, it should put a little bit of excitement. It should get your heart pumping a few beats quicker. And ultimately, I think that's what it's all about. You want it to look good. You want it to be sexy when you walk in. You want guys and gals to be proud to walk on that court and play on that court and put that uniform on and, you know, look good, play good type of thing. Uh, but very much, we've said this before, uh, Christian Spears is, is in tune with brand cohesion, and he wants our primary logos to be our primary logo, our secondary logos to be our secondary logos, and uh, on down the line. And he's spoken to that on several occasions. You know, we, we, and we've talked about that. You know, like you made the point back in the early 2000s when you'd go to a football game and see 12 different colors of green shirts yeah. being worn. You know, mm-hmm. so he's very aware and is very um, focused on making us a cohesive color scheme and design so we all look good everything looks the same uh as far as colors and logos go and it's it's that attention to detail man i some people probably don't think that's a big deal but i am not in that group i think it's a very big deal and i'm glad that somebody else sees that let me tell you how focused he is on that the next piece of news is kind of basketball related but it's only where they practice a lot in Gullickson. Yeah. And if you go go in Gullickson, which I was last week when they were discussing painting, it was one of my customers that I went to meet over there. Um, they have like a dark hunter forest green scheme from about the um, the lower level down. You know, you can go up to the upper level and everything and up there higher. It was white. Uh, the ceiling, at least the beams that run uh, uh, side to side, not the length of Gullickson, are brown. Well, they're going to paint that, mm-hmm. and they're going to paint that Kelly green. So you're going to have one row or one beam would be Kelly green, the next would be white, the next would be Kelly green, the next would be white. And this is not a place where we're even going to have games. Right. You know, but we will have, you know, volleyball camp uh, had a lot of stuff in there. Practice will be in there. This is a place on Marshall and it is an athletic facility uh, use for Marshall. It's going to be Kelly green and white. So that is how focused we are on getting everything Kelly green and getting everything upgraded. Now, is that going to make our play better? No, but it's something that has been needed for two decades yep. when you go in there, you know, so why not just do it? He's a doer. He's not just a sayer. He came in and said, I want this, 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 and this. And then they have to go and tell him, okay, we only have the budget for this, 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 and this. Yeah. Uh, so this is one of them. Football. Everyone's main event. Let's talk about the stadium <laughs> upgrades right there. Isn't there in there one more thing about basketball? Isn't something getting switched around in there too? My bad. You're right. This has nothing to do with any kind of uh, facilities upgrades, but they are going to have the student section 
switch to the other end, you know, right now it's where you come in from the tarmac, uh, Fat Patty's tarmac area, walk through the doors, go down, uh, sit at the very end of the court at the bottom. That is where the student section is right now, where the band is. Mm -hmm. They're flip-flopping that directly across from them. So they'll be underneath where the uh, suites are, the five Dude, suites. Yeah, the students are going to be under the Stephen P. New suite. Yeah, uh, yeah that, right. that, that makes a good move for me uh, because that's also on the end where the visiting bench is where visiting player or visiting fans go. And it's not like a, I mean, you're not doing anything that's like unsportsmanlike, but you want to make it, you want a home court advantage. Yeah. It's a competitive advantage. You want to be loud. You, you know, when there's free throws going on, you want to be loud at a crucial timeout during the game. So maybe that vital piece of information doesn't get, you know, relayed as well as it could be if it was just a normal fan sitting there. But also, I made this point to you when you told me about this. How much sense does it make to have your older fans, your fans that need to leave and get the cars and all that kind of stuff, the ability to turn around and walk out the door and yeah. just be outside? That makes all the sense in the world to me instead of having them walk all the way around the court just to just to exit when there's already going to be a bottleneck there. So Yeah, um, and actually the uh, other end uh, where the students will now be, they can just walk up the steps, be on the concourse, go out and be directly on campus walking right. back to the dorms. So what you had in a sense was the people at each end of the court needing to get past each other to exit, to go the ways they needed to go. And now they'll just be able to turn and go out and they won't have sure. to, you know, potentially reduce some of that uh, bottleneck traffic trying to get out, but it's a good move. Uh, I know that there will be some season ticket holders that are impacted by that because that's also, um, you can't just flop, flop, you know, bleachers for bleachers. There's other sections, like there's a student seating section as well that's going to have to be moved over. It's more than just the bleachers, but there will be some, some season ticket holders impacted, and I'm sure they'll take great care of you, and they'll make sure that you get, um, you know, get some benefit for your trouble for losing your seat, so to speak. But the, but the number of fans that that impacts is relatively minute in, in relation to the size of the Camp Henderson Center. So, uh, I think that's just a, a, a tweak that makes a whole lot of sense, and I think it will be um, beneficial on a number of fronts. All right, now let's go over to our main event of football. The field turf, as everyone has kept up with on uh, social media, is basically finished. Mm -hmm. By the time we publish this, there might be a finished video out there. You know, uh, it's nearly finished right now. Uh, on as far as the video that they've already posted. Uh, I think it looks great. Uh, they have the, the black, I think, definitely makes it pop. Like you said, you don't risk having two different shades of green there going from the end zone to the other that kind of like lessens that impact of your Kelly green. You know, uh, putting green next to green kind of doesn't make, the green stand out. So I really like what they ended up choosing and going with, which again, uh, the fans had a hand in, in voting. Um, also with uh, that, we have talked about the different colors of green. Remember last week we were talking about as you look from the field level up, up to the concourse, 
the different rows have a shade of green. So mm -hmm. if you're looking, you know, you've ever been down on the field and you turn around or you see some photos that aren't aerial overhead, you will notice that each individual vertical step, the risers going up the stairs in the aisles headed to the uh, concourse had a shade of green telling you which row it was. And we talked about those getting painted to Kelly Green. Well, it's not just that. Every single place that they have uh, green in there, they want it all to be Kelly. Now, how that will work with the chairbacks, I don't know. I don't know if that's have to take each of them out. Uh, I don't think it would be a painting. I think you would have to have new seats yeah, put I in. I think so too. Uh, but we're talking about every piece of trim. Uh, we already talked about the lettering is coming off the uh, press box and getting painted. It's more of this cohesion. It's more of uh, just the overall aesthetic of it. And coming in with that too, uh, there's going to be updates to the banners on the exterior, the field wraps that are on the exterior uh, of the stadium uh, to the left and right of the brick. If you're looking at gate B, which is the big brick middle part, They've got the banners that have been up for several years now. Those are all being done new. Um, they are getting a new scoreboard. Don't know if that will happen exactly how he wants it. If the one that he wants comes in, Spears says it will be the third largest such video board in the country for college football. Uh, I better get some damn stats if that's the case. <laughs> <laughs> you got to be able to find some room on there to put, put some uh, stats on there. Um, again, that's just going to make it look amazing. Uh, let's talk briefly about that. Uh, the scoreboard is paid for by Learfield, used to be IMG. Uh, because of the ads that are put on there, they're responsible for that. So this would be an additional upgrade over their normal thing that they're responsible for yeah. to make that video board bigger. Um, but again, I, that's just more and more foresight of saying, hey, let's put up a ridiculously big video board. Maybe that allows you to have those um, same size advertisements that are there right now, the sponsors that help pay for all this mm -hmm. while still having a section that's big enough for your game clock, your stats, your uh, video replays and all that uh, without having to sacrifice any kind of mon money coming in. I think, you know, you talk about having a huge video board, third largest in the country or whatever, if that's what's able to be put in. Okay. Let's sure. say, let's just say that that's what it is. The last thing people are going to want to see is this huge video board and it be nothing but ads. I mean, yeah. that does not enhance your user experience, right? That, no. in my opinion, that diminishes your user experience because I feel like I'm at a football game with a giant commercial playing all the time, which is very much the vibe I got from those ribbon boards that they put in because it's all ads all the time and it's nothing beneficial to the user at the stadium, right? Uh, so... I'm all in on a big giant video board. Great. I, first and foremost, I think that's awesome. And um, to be able to have, an, have the ability to see replays if they will show them, even if, even if Marshall's on the short end of the stick of those or they don't want to show the replay, yeah. like let, let me have that, right? And, but 
here's the here's the thing, and, and I've heard Spears talk about this before. Joan C. Edwards Stadium is a vastly underutilized facility in the city of Huntington mm-hmm. and in the region. And we've said that for years, just in casual conversations. Like, why the hell do we never have a summer concert at Joan C. Edwards Stadium? Never. We've had a couple here recently. But I mean, uh, like every year there should be like a, a marquee act, you know, that's a tour yeah. stop or right. or several. And we just don't do that. And by putting Movie in nights. big, putting in big video boards, putting in the concourse, like the party deck, getting potentially those bleachers out of there, which I know we're going to talk about here in a little bit. We've got a little speculation going on. But if you start to revamp that end zone to where you could host things more easily, like a concert or uh, movie nights, like you're saying, or any any other things that allows you to utilize that space more than six to seven times a year, I think you have to do that. I mean. Yeah. A lot of times stadiums are these um, integral parts of community involvement outside of the sport that gets played there. And we're not doing that in Huntington and haven't done that for as long as I've been associated with the city. I mean, one or two concerts in 25 years doesn't cut it. I mean, come on. Sure. And I mean, it seems like they have had a concerted effort to have more of them recently. Um, There is also the question of, what kind of damage trade-off would you have by putting uh, people on the turf for such an event? You know, even if you're covering the turf, what's the damage that would do? Um, so there's, uh, to me, just having the video board, if you're going to have one, I know we get an upgrade every so many years anyway, and that's planned, but what kind of forces this, you know, we were talking about some of the other things is switching from, labels that have conference usa to having sunbelt on them the video board that we have currently the people we get it from i can't remember if it's dactronics they are no longer um, servicing the technology that they have there so it's time for an upgrade okay so while it's time for an upgrade that's where spears said well then we want bigger you yeah know? let's go all in Right. So if you, if to be you a see running a theme. theme here, yeah, if you see a theme <laughs> here, every facility at Marshall, everything that we have, he's saying, why not do it better? Yeah. You know, and if you're not getting better, you're staying the same and you're risking getting worse. Yeah. And every year it adds another year worth of wear and tear on it. And if you're not upgrading, it's going to get worse. So that's why I believe everyone should just get on board and say, we will see a baseball stadium here built in a few years this is the thing that i keep saying where people um are we clamor and say like hey um the experience is what it's all about like we're fighting against tv options and streaming options and all this stuff so these guys are well aware of what we have to have to get a butt into a seat and what has worked for the last 25 years for our parents and our grandparents and even us to a degree, because we were in college at that time, it's not going to work for my son and his kids and, you know, and even me to a certain degree, because it's really easy to stay at home, you know, in December and like, man, it's pretty freaking cold. But if you go out there and you got all this new shiny stuff and it's awesome and it's electric again and, and, and they're winning games and it makes it a lot easier to go to that game. And these guys are quite aware of the challenges ahead and they're trying to meet it head on. And I don't know what previous regimes and administrations did, but it, it always, I always got the feeling that 
we were uh, at a disadvantage when we would deal with somebody like Learfield and we, and they would say, well, here's what you're getting. And they would go, okay. You know, and, and it, it, I just get the vibe that Spears is like, it might be like, well, here's what you're getting. And he goes, no, 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 I want X, Y, and Z, yeah. you know, and then there, then a negotiation takes place. And I don't have any inkling of what goes on. None whatsoever. I get what you're saying, though. but we've seen more in 95 days or a hundred days. It seems like with him at the helm than we've seen in a long time, you know, over the course of several administrations. So sure. I just don't feel like he's complacent with taking the first offer. Maybe that's what I should have said. Yeah. I think that we, we discussed it. Why wouldn't you want to come in and make a big splash in your first athletic uh, director job? Yeah. You know, you've been an assistant, you now have the reins. You're not going to come in and just say, eh, I'm, I'm here. You know, I'm just going to No, he has ideas and he has a focus and he's trying to get done a massive amount of stuff. I mean, he has lit a fire under everybody of, Hey, we're not going to settle. We're going to do this the right way. We're going to do it big. Yep. So a couple more things about the football stadium. Then that wraps up our facilities talk. Um, $9 million for the bathrooms renovation and overhaul. That was on that special session board of governors meeting. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about that. I think it's just a, we want to get it on the docket type thing because there were other items that were on the agendas for years that they never, you know, voted on. Now we all know that there's going to have to be some sort of bathroom upgrade at some point. Um, Mm -hmm. It's, it's always going to boil down to cost versus benefit. You know, what's the trade-off there? Um, But, you know, Nobody wants to pee into 25-year-old rusty troughs anymore. Um, you know, you don't want to you don't want to have, you know, two stalls or three stalls in the bathroom. I mean, you 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 need more than that. You just need yeah. more than that. Um, the old it's just time for some technological upgrades, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. in 25 years hygiene has advanced quite a bit. Even when you just talk about things like hand dryers, you know what I mean? Uh, so it's just time to clean them up. Um, I don't think it'll take $9 million, but again, if, if, if you're going to get approved for $9 million, take it, right? How many times did we go in and this wasn't just drunk people? Did we see during college or after college, someone going in, maybe an opposing fan or whatever, first time they're at the stadium, they go in and try to pee at the hand washing station. Yeah, because it looks you know? like a, like it's some sort of receptacle for your urine. Yeah. You know, and you got to go, hey, buddy. Yeah, over here, around the yeah. corner, over there. So, so, no, it's just, it's time. And people have clamored for that for so long, so, so long. And it feels like you're getting to the end of the rope to where you can not not do it. You kind of have to do it. So, so KD, I'm I'm reaching over here and I'm grabbing it and I'm putting it on. Here's where I throw my speculation hat on. Again. <laughs> He's like, man, that lead-in was scary. We were talking about I, the bathrooms. He <laughs> <laughs> scared me on that one. <laughs> uh, no, that that's good. You got me. But no, um, I'm I'm going to throw this speculation hat back on. Okay, as I put it on here, nine million dollars for bathrooms, and we got people saying, "Is that? I mean, you know, throw in some toilets or updated troughs or urinals that are automatic and all that." Yeah, that's fine. But are you thinking about you've got, if I'm thinking correctly, two men's, two women's on each side. So that's four men's, four women's that you've got to do. You've also got the area up where the press row, uh, big green room and all that stuff up there. 
those are going to get upgraded as far as I know. You may still be saying, well, they're redoing all the plumbing. They're redoing all because, I mean, could you imagine we've had one of my customers does the plumbing over there. They have an accident of a backup or something, uh, an overflow during the game. You know, yeah. you don't want that. So you go in and put all new lines in. You just totally, you're not just stripping it down to the concrete. Maybe you've got to tear out that concrete, redo the plumbing, the drainage, upgrade it to where you're never going to have any issues like that. All the, you know, whatever could happen, happens. Fans come in and try to flush down uh, uh, paper towels or something like that. Just redo everything at a big industrial commercial level. Right. People may still think, and I may be one of them, that says $9 million? I think there's some money left over. Here's my speculation. Underneath the scoreboard in the end zone area, which is going to be eventually where we're going to have some sky boxes and things like that, go in and take out the rocks and you start putting bathrooms in there. That alleviates a lot of stress on your concourses on the uh, east side and the west side. You've got that south uh, end zone concourse there where you can have uh, a, a big men's and women's or maybe men's and women's on the east side part of that scoreboard and a men's and women's on the west side part of that. Again, just take some of the pressure off and it is already prepping for what is going to happen in the next year to two years yeah i don't think that's wild speculation by any stretch i think you earmarked in several line items in that nine million dollars has to be the building of brand new from scratch facilities in the end zone to to, yeah. to uh service what we we're talking about like even the party deck because there's going to be people there you know and they're not going to want to run all the way across to the sideline to take a whiz and they're going to need to jet out the back and you know, go down the steps or something like that. And, uh, but still, I mean, can you honestly really have too many bathrooms at a stadium? I don't no. think you can. I mean, no. so even tossing in an extra men's and an extra women's in the end zone seems like a good idea anyway. It just it seems like a good idea. So even if you weren't going to have the planned um, additions that we have speculated yeah. and talked about, it would already help quite a bit. Anyone that has been there and had to run out and wait on the concourse, there's a lot of traffic on that concourse anyway. A lot of it's because people go to those sides to go to the bathroom while they're going out to, to get their snacks, their beer, their pop, their water, whatever. So throw those new additions down there. You're thinking forward. You're alleviating some of the stress on the bathrooms that you already have for the concourse space and everything. And you've got a leg up for the future. Yeah, it's, it's just, it's a good idea. So $9 million sounds like a lot from the surface because you might think, how much does a damn trough cost? Jeez, what does, yeah. what do 20 hand dryers cost? But now think bigger picture, folks. Think, think yeah. longer term. Think newer, yeah. not just uh, upgrading existing. Think building new. Very, very last line item. Fans that have looked into this sort of thing will notice that you still cannot select the upper end zone for your season seats. Yeah. However, they have a graphic on the Herd Zone Ticket Office website that shows those being available under 2022 for $99, same as years past. So 
I've still got this speculation hat on, as you can Same. see. Yeah. And I think it's boiling down to right now that will they tarp those off versus will they sell those? And it's still very much up in the air and they're running out of time that may force their hand. But as of right now, they're not going to sell them because it is a very good possibility that we will have those end zone seats on the upper level concourse and above tarped off yeah uh, i'm with you it, you know two weeks ago three weeks ago whenever i did the episode or we talked about season tickets going on sale there were they we found it odd that there was just the lower sections were available and now here we are fast forward two or three weeks from now and they're still not available it's starting to get a little late in the game for me to think that those are just going to be released Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you can get $99 seats. You just got to get them in 105 and you got to buy a minimum of four. So that's still a possibility. But if you're waiting to get that end zone general admission seat, I don't know that it's going to be available to you. It could. As soon as I post this and make the episode live, literally the next moment, they could release all those seats and make, eh, we're going to sell. But for right now, it just feels like we're going to see the end zone get tarped off. So let's talk about why there might be a Schrodinger's cat situation of will they, won't they, uh, is there, aren't they? Um, They have, if they put the tarping up, you eliminate the income stream from those seats immediately. You have to bank on those being replaced by those people selecting the sideline seats and, and higher. So that is one scenario of it. The other part of if you put that tarping up, you know, it actually costs money for that tarp as well and the installation of such. So you are doing more than just getting rid of the revenue that is coming in. You know, it's the revenue that was coming in from all those upper end zone seats plus the cost of the tarping and everything. So how do they recoup that money? You sell corporate sponsorships uh, just like they have on the ribbon banners that you were talking about, the screens, uh, the field wraps and all that stuff that's on the scoreboard, you would sell product placement on the tarp itself. Doesn't have to be all of it. It's not like it's, and maybe it is, you know, the Encova end zone tarp, you know, Mm -hmm. not necessarily they would have that on there, but you could have a huge Marshall decal, uh, any kind of message that you wanted to have, but still throughout the outliers also have corporate sponsorship uh, places for their banners. Yeah. So that could be, I don't have any inside knowledge. I'm just saying that could be a reason is because they're still trying to secure that. And it could be that that's the plan and they already have that. And that's why they're not releasing these. But I find it odd that they have both. They have it listed on there. If you dig around, you'll see what I'm talking about. There's a PDF graphic that shows you the different places, and it clearly is a new graphic for 2022, and it states as such, and it has the $99 seats on there. However, they also do not have those available yet. So it looks like our speculation from a couple of weeks ago, you and Trace were talking about it while I was on vacation. Uh, is kind of spot on that it's a maybe they get released late but it's probably that they're looking at not having those seats available 
I think the only thing you can do, it's not like you're going to tarp some and like leave some. Like the only way you could do that if you decided to release some $99 general admission seats late is those corn, like the side site, like 228 and, and whatever, yeah. because you can't release one section in the middle and tarp the other one. That would look dumb. It would look right. like you're missing a front tooth. Yeah. <laughs> so you gotta you gotta make a decision here and we've talked about it before how many people how many tickets of those 10 8 to ten thousand actually get it's eight thousand nineteen. okay there's eight thousand nineteen seats up there so if you look at those if it were sold out but it never be, is i'm saying how many never. do they sell how yeah. many do they how much lost revenue are you actually losing from a season ticket standpoint I would venture less than half of that season ticket plus a week of purchases, uh, you know, so we, we figure that it would have, have to average out. Uh, we did the math um, off the show one time and we said, let's say they sell 3000 total. And that counts your weekly walk-ups that are buying general admission plus your, uh, upper end zone season ticket holders. Mm -hmm. So 3000 of the 8,019, I think when you look at it, that would be a decent kind of guess. All right. And then you say, well, each one of those would be a minimum of $99. But if they're roughly 25 times six, you're looking at $150. So let's split the difference and say they're $125. So now you're looking at 125 times 3000. $750,000. Yeah. So it's a lot of revenue plus the cost of the tarp. And, and it is. And I'm looking at the map of the stadium right now because I wanted to get these sections right. So even if you chose to tarp off the, the middle six sections, right? That's the two directly below the scoreboard or that encompass the scoreboard, 229 and 236, and you go two sections out on each side, you could still make available for purchase sections 228, 230, 221, and 223, and probably still get a fair amount of uh, people to buy those tickets while at the same time being able to tarp off the meat and potatoes middle section and generate some added revenue. And maybe that's something that we look at. Maybe that's something that's on the table since nothing is really off the table yet. So you can satisfy a little bit of both. You still offer a $99 seat. You still are able to uh, bring in you know, 2000 fans or whatever at that area or, you know, whatever the number is. And you get to tarp off the main middle of your uh, end zone and sell some corporate sponsorship for future projects, you know, and then and next year or two years from now, you're only looking at having to relocate a very small amount of people based on how many get sold this year. And I have to correct myself. I don't know why, but I doubled it. It's $375,000, not 750. Okay. Don't know why in my head what I was doing, but three hundred seventy-five thousand dollars plus the tarp—that's still a lot of revenue that you have to account for. Sure, uh, you know, I mean that helps pay for a lot of this stuff that we're wanting to see and these upgrades. You know, sure. so um, not to mention, as we have said, fans will want to pay that lower amount. So yeah, sure they will, and that might be a nice happy medium. You know, if they explore that route or, or you know, for all we know, they're going to open the whole damn thing up. We don't know. But I'm just saying, if, if you want to offer something, you just decide sections or gives you an option. And, you know, you can ease those people with the uh, 
with the advance notice that, hey, next year you're going to have to get a sideline seat because this isn't going to be here or whatever the case may be. The second thing is you're talking about like we don't know what they're going to do because the bleachers are still there. They haven't been ripped out, so there's no answer definitively. Um, but, you know, we, we in our infinite speculation wisdom, we're talking about this. And I've, I said, I think that that's a good move. Like, even if you want to remove them and tarp the area, you leave them in because it provides protection from the wind, from the backside of the stadium. You don't want it always pushing through there and affecting your kicks and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, or just causing unnecessary stress on the tarps themselves where you're looking at, well, shit, well, now we have to replace it, you know, a month into the season. So the, there are so many options left on, on the table for what they can do with this end zone. Uh, but my speculation had, I think, is in line with yours is where I think we won't see any of the general admission end zone seats available, or if we do, it's a very small number of them. Yeah. Well, that's all I've got. I know that was a lot on facilities. This has been a very long episode uh, for all the news that we had. Yeah. Um, but I think it has been a highly informative one. and. Yeah. Yeah, we've got a lot of stuff and I got a feeling within the next couple of weeks, we're going to have some fundamental truths on these facilities upgrades. Yeah, I'm thinking you will find a lot of answers here pretty soon. And I just don't know how to I just don't know how to get folks to understand that we, you know, as much as we want things to happen, we still have to allow them to happen. Yeah, that, that 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 we can't drive that point home enough. And that, some people might just be like, I've heard that before. So have I. I've heard it before too. But the difference is, I'm willing to give these guys a chance. These guys and gals a chance on our new administrative teams, a chance to succeed. And uh, if we can all do that, if we can all just take a collective breath and go, okay, Christian Spears and his team have done more in 90 days than we've seen in a long time, as far as projects and planning and getting things done and and all this kind of stuff, maybe I can give them a little while to succeed here. Um, There is one more thing, Russ, I want to talk about before we uh, do some parting words, and that is the the new uh, campaign called The Home is Heard. Uh, That's that's their new... I don't want to call it a marketing campaign, but it's it it kind of sort of is. The Home is Heard. I heard uh, Christian Spears talking about this, and if you haven't heard about it or if any listeners haven't heard about it, what they're going to do is they're going to roll out a program to where you can scan a QR code and you can enter your address and be a, you know, um, registered with the athletic department as your home is where the herd basically lives, right? Your home is herd. They're going to give you a yard sign to put up in your yard and they're going to do some cool give back things. Like they're going to collect some data on you as far as they're going to know if you're a big green member, if you're a season ticket holder, if, you know, all this kind of stuff that's relevant to what they're trying to do. And he said, in exchange for doing that, they're going to provide some perks for the folks that sign up and, and make their home known as a, a herd home. Uh, they may deliver you know, you might be a lucky winner to where one of the coaches or some of the players deliver a swag box to your house or they hand deliver your season tickets or, you know, whatever the case may be. This is a really cool grassroots thing, right? It's it's just super cool. And even say you don't have to live in Huntington or, you know, Hurricane or Charleston to, to be a part of this. It's everywhere. Like, so I can do this and have a yard sign at my house in Tampa, Florida, which I fully intend on doing so that this campaign can reach all across the globe. If there's people across the world that want a yard sign in their yard, then they can have that. So I doubt that they'll be taking any flights and hand delivering me any tickets or anything like that, but still 
I have the opportunity to showcase down here in Florida that I support Marshall Athletics, that I'm a big green donor, that, you know, season ticket holder, whatever the case may be, I can do that all the way down here. And I just think that's a really, really cool campaign. I'm sure more news will come out about that when the program actually gets launched. So keep your eyes out for that. If that's something that you are um, excited about being a part of or something that you're interested in being a part of, um, I think we should all do it. I think we should yeah. all do that. All do that. If you're a big green member, if you're not a big green, it doesn't matter. If you're if you're a supporter of Marshall Athletics, sign the QR code, get you a yard sign, and you know, let's expand the fan base and be proud of who we rock. Right? We rock with the herd. So let's 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 be proud of that. That's so right. that being said, do you have any parting words before we get out of this massively epic Thundercast episode? Huge thanks to our sponsors, 304carwreck.com, who sponsored the entire show. Please. Uh, Give them some shouts out on social media. Go to their Facebook page, like and follow. They have some great information over there if you ever get in a wreck. Tremendous resource. Reach out to them. Also, Ignite Link for all that they uh, offer us with the five things and the stuff that we talked about last week that will be coming up during tailgating season. Yeah, uh, I'm going to echo that same thought. We had an opportunity to have a really good conversation with the guys over at Ignite Link, and I just could not be more impressed with how excited they are to um, help us grow as a as a show and as a um, arm of Marshall fandom. Uh, these are great guys, man. If you have a business, if you have a need for um, IT, please reach out to Ignite Link. Follow them on Twitter, at Ignite Link. Get in touch with them and see if you have a problem that they can solve for you. Uh, some of the things that they divulged to me – the ideas that they have for us about uh, expanding and growing, especially when we get into tailgates and football season, like you said, man, it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, I'm very appreciative of the opportunity to work with those guys, work alongside those guys on some of these projects and ideas. It was just a really great conversation we had last week, and uh, I look forward to having another one real soon. So until then, Russ, take us the heck out of here. All right. As always, you may see us around the Joan. You may see us around the cam. You may see us around Huntington. Wherever you're going to see us, we're going to be saying, go herd. Go herd. It's the Thundercast. We'll see you well, heck, in like four days. Later. Yeah.